There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and I am very excited for this episode because we're talking all things Captain America, Civil War, and to talk with me about this movie, I have assembled a clique of comic connoisseurs. First, resident writer for all things Squad Up and Assembly Required, it's Robbie. Robbie, what's up, man? Not much, just really excited to uh, talk about how crazy the beards were in this Ken Burns documentary we all watched. <laughs> oh boy. Also, from uh, the, the sound cave at first, uh, we were gracious enough to get her to be on the show today. It's Angela. Angela, what's up, girl? Hey, not too much. Happy to be your token female for this episode. I appreciate that. There's a lot of... Uh, tough female issues in this movie that need to be talked about specifically how weird is it for somebody to make out with your eventual niece um you know these are the tough questions that i need to be answered but not yet because next up from the same sound cave we've got the sound lord himself chris what's up buddy dearest virginia i write to you from the battlefields (laughs) captain rogers is still fighting (laughs) i fear i may not make it home in time for christmas did did we have the same opening reference idea ahead of time? No, I just jumped off of yours. I was, I was like, let me just build on it. <laughs> I just stopped thinking, like, what's a good old time name? And then I remembered Pepper Potts' name was Virginia. And there we go. <laughs> you know, uh, Peaches is not able to make it on this episode. We'll get him on the next one. He's off robbing a bank or something. I don't know what he's doing. Um, but like I said, today we're talking all things please, Civil please, War. Please, Captain call America. It, uh, call it the war between the Avengers. We're calling it the war between or the, the war of Iron Man aggression. Shall rise again. The war of Iron Man aggression. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not written in the notes who's going to be talking about historical context, so I'm just going to let whoever's going to talk about it just start talking. That's going to be me for talking about the uh, the issue um, that this movie was based on. Marvel Civil War was based on the. Uh, mini-series seven-issue run in late 2006, early 2007, um, that Marvel had a major crossover event called Civil War. Um, in addition to just those seven issues, basically every ongoing had some sort of uh, side story events from what was going on. Spider-Man had a lot of fallout in his issues. Captain America had a lot. Um, but the Civil War crossover um, was based on this idea. There was, a, there was a, an event in the Marvel comic pages a bunch of kind of C-list superheroes got in a fight that killed 600 people. And it kind of put the the U.S. in a tizzy and they decided we need to do something about all these uh, super-powered individuals. Under the guidance of one Tony Iron Man Stark, uh, the U.S. Congress passed the Superhero Registration Act, which was designed to force all of these super-powered individuals to have to register and operate under the jurisdiction of the United States government, um, which is something that's... I think an interesting thought to to maybe kind of pursue if this if superheroes lived in the real world. And that was why this issue was so interesting, because it was kind of exploring this idea of 
would we just let these vigilantes just run free or would we try and you know um legislate rules for them so tony stark ends up as iron man kind of trying to enforce this registration act and the um the the whole civil war story kind of revolves around really three key figures and it really hits the whole marvel universe but there's three really kind of main characters of civil war and one of them is tony stark um who ends up being kind of the enforcer of the registration act he tries to bring the avengers along with that and shield um he and then there's another of those three kind of main characters and that's captain america he's the man on the other side um captain america at this point is is the uh, idealism of what america can be and so captain america refuses to register he ends up uh, forming a uh, sort of an underground gang to fight the superhero registration act uh, they call themselves the secret avengers um, and in fact, he has a speech in there about that, um, which we'll talk about more in this uh, film. But the Sharon Carter's No You Move speech uh, from the eulogy in the film we're going to be discussing actually comes directly from the pages of Civil War. I mean, that's Captain America um, pleading his case to Spider-Man, who is sort of the third main character of the Civil War arc. Um, he's the man in the middle, if you will. Um, you know, it's Tony versus uh, Steve, and then you've got Peter in the middle. At first, Peter Parker registers to join um, Iron Man. Uh, then he starts seeing the brutality of Iron Man's enforcement. He sees the uh, concentration camps uh, that they're putting people in, and he realizes, no, this is wrong. Uh, so he jets, uh, ends up on the other side, uh, first gets beaten up by Iron Man, gets rescued by the Punisher, and then joins um, Steve Rogers' side and the Resistance uh, there's a major schism across the um, universe. People have to choose sides. Um, it, it ends up touching on a lot of different heroes. Uh, um, one one of the arcs that I think is very interesting is uh, Mr. Fantastic uh, ends up being uh, pro-registration and kind of uh, one of the right-hand men of Tony Stark, while Sue Storm is really opposed to this whole thing. And so uh, the Invisible Girl ends up joining the... Um, opposition with uh, the secret avengers to oppose her own husband being pro-registration and honestly the same thing for hank pym because he's an asshole and janet van dyne because she's a sweetheart so um wasp versus ant-man is part of it as well um there's a lot of fallout that comes from it I, I really like peter parker's arc is especially very interesting he's kind of while while the whole thing is really driven by iron man and captain america um peter's arc throughout it is very interesting he actually ends up um, unmasking himself in a press conference to reveal himself to the world in support for the registration act and i remember that was a big enough deal that cable news networks ran headline stories to discuss peter parker uh giving up his secret identity because it's just an important part of the spider-man mythos um, and they gave it up for civil war um dr octopus as a fun side note does the math realizes that means his butt was kicked repeatedly by a high school kid and goes on a rampage in anger um and so uh and there's a lot of other other interesting acts it all ends up culminating a final battle in new york and in that final battle captain america very nearly kills iron man um realizes that the fighting is out of control and surrenders um and so one of the interesting things about civil war was the way it pulled out iron man and pulled out captain america these characters that had existed for decades and it kind of becomes sort of stale less popular members of the avengers and turned them into really headlining characters kind of gave them um some uh, character growth and put them kind of back towards the forefront of popularity that's when when the mcu was coming out there was kind of this idea that 
Iron Man and Captain America were not particularly popular characters. And, and, you know, sure, they weren't Batman, but Civil War had started to bring them up to being more popular again because it was a big, important run, um, and the two of them were the most important uh, people. Um, there was a lot of important um, uh, aftermath from Civil War, like Tony Stark became the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and then, uh, really importantly, Steve Rogers, after his arrest, um, while being taken to the courthouse, ends up being assassinated by a... Um, by Sharon Carter. And it turns out that Sharon Carter was um, brainwashed. She was assisted by crossbones and the whole thing was organized by Red Skull. Um, but really importantly from that, Bucky Barnes had just been reintroduced to the to the Marvel Universe. Um, he had recovered from being the Winter Soldier at this point. So that was when Bucky Barnes took over the mantle as Captain America. Um, and there were lots of other ramifications like, like Peter's Secret Identity and stuff. Um, all of that has already mostly been retconned by now because of comic books. Uh, but that was uh, Marvel Civil War. It was a run that I really, really enjoyed. Kind of got me back into comics at the time. Um, and so then they decided to make a movie about it, which I thought was really cool. And uh, Chris is going to talk about the movie. Yes, I am. Yes. So uh, the first inkling that a Civil War movie was actually going to happen was there were, there were reports in the trades that Robert Downey Jr. had signed on to be in Captain America 3, uh, which was yet another time that his contract was extended. As originally it ended with Iron Man 3, then he added Ultron, and then Civil War, and then what was then known as Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. Uh, a fun fact I remember about this was before we even knew what Captain America 3 was going to be, they had announced its release date, which was the same day that Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was supposed to come out. And... What ended up happening, whenever there are two major releases that are supposed to happen on the same day from opposing studios, one of them has to blink. And Batman v Superman blinked, which if you had told anyone even five years before, mm-hmm. hey, what what's, uh, what's going to be the bigger superhero movie, the more powerful one? Is it going to be Captain America or is it going to be Batman and Superman finally in a movie together? But you have to plant yourself like a tree and say, no, you move. And uh, yes. and Batman did <laughs> so. Yeah, so Marvel then had an event where they showed footage from upcoming movies in production, including at this point Age of Ultron, which had not been released yet. And they announced several new films that were going to be coming out, including Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok and Captain America Serpent Society. And then a few minutes later, they revealed, no, just kidding. It's Captain America Civil War. Yeah, we're doing it. Now, product- side note, I lost my mind at this point. Yeah, I'm sure you did. My, me, my story was I was following along with it on Twitter, saw Serpent Society and said, oh, that's weird. Never heard of that. And then I went back to work because I was on my break when I saw this. And then when I came back from my break, found out, no, just kidding. That, that was a lie. You're, you're way behind. So uh, production of this movie led to a behind the scenes civil war. We've alluded to this a little bit before in previous episodes. Uh, but this movie directly led to a massive restructuring of the Marvel Studios uh, corporate hierarchy. Uh, so Kevin Feige wanted to get Robert Downey Jr. back. Uh, at this point, he, report, he reported to the president of Marvel Entertainment, Ike Perlmutter, who we have discussed in the past how he's kind of a jerk, kind of racist, kind of sexist, and doesn't like to spend money on actors. Uh, so he was not going to give them the money to get Robert Downey Jr. for this Captain America movie. No, no, just do it without him. So... I think Bob Iger kind of recently spilled some more tea about this uh, in his book when he said that Kevin Feige was ready to quit at this point. 
So what they did was they made it so Marvel Studios was now going to be under Walt Disney Pictures, and they would, uh, and they would, uh, excuse me, they would report to Alan Horn, the chairman of Walt Disney Studios, instead of Ike Perlmutter. So from that point on, they've been separate from Marvel Entertainment. Although now Feige's kind of in charge of everything, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so so that was the big restructuring there. Meanwhile, at Sony, this this one had a very interesting development. So after Sam Raimi took too long to make Spider-Man Four, Sony decided to reboot instead because, in all of the uh, Marvel licensing deals that they had with other uh, other film studios before they started making their own movies. There was a pretty much a clause in them that said that if the license went unused for a certain number of years, then they would revert to Marvel. So Sony didn't want to lose their Spider-Man cash cow. So instead of uh, speeding along Spider-Man 4, since Raimi was taking too long, they decided to reboot. So the subsequent Amazing Spider-Man series, uh, the Andrew Garfield movies, did not set the world on fire. And then I have in my notes here, then a satirical movie made by a couple of famous stoners made North Korea so angry that they hacked into Sony servers. <laughs> so if you don't remember this, this little uh, nugget. So uh, uh, Seth, uh, Seth Rogen and um, uh, James Franco, James Franco. I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> Harry Osborne himself. Uh, <laughs> it was all part of a plot. Uh, it was gr- the Green Hornet and Harry Osborn the whole time. <laughs> Just like my fan fiction. Uh, no, but um, so they made the movie. The uh, Was it The Interview was what it was called? But it was about uh, an American yeah. journalist who gets into North Korea and interviews Kim Jong-un. Un. Kim Jong-un. I had to think about it for Not a second. Kim Jong-de. No, or de. Kim jong <laughs> Uh Yeah, so... Uh, so North Korea got real mad and they hacked Sony and they dumped a lot of private emails out there on the Internet for the world to see. And among those uh, internal communications that we saw, we found proof that Marvel and Sony had at some point in the past discussed a Spider-Man MCU crossover. Anything from something as small as the Oscorp Tower from the Amazing Spider-Man movies appearing in the skyline and the Avengers uh, up to a full blown crossover, but they could not reach an agreement. Uh, because you're going to find this hard to believe, Sony was very, uh, very much wanting to be in uh, in the lead on this. Avi, I think it, I think it was Avi Rod, uh, but I, if it's not Avi, sorry. I think you're correct. Yes, yeah. I believe. You're oh correct. yeah, so it's Avi Rod. He okay. Have you seen the episode of The Simpsons, uh, the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show? Yes. Yeah. Where I'm going to go with Sony. Sony said they pretty much wanted Avengers to be Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> I know where you're going. Whenever Spider-Man's not on screen, everyone should be asking, "Hey, where's Spider-Man?" Like that was pretty much what they wanted. <laughs> like if if Spider-Man was going to be the Avengers movie, Spider-Man was going to be the main attraction. Marvel's like, nah, fam. Wait, but but I think that's fine. <laughs> I, it, it's fine when uh, if Sony were making the Avengers movies, sure. But when you're when you're Disney or Marvel and some other company comes in and starts pushing you around on your, uh, on your franchise goals. And then Avengers went and became and with a like pit. recent news. It's like, uh, Oh, how the, how yes. the turns of tape. Very, very much. You know? <laughs> My, <how the> <laughs> yeah. And then one night I woke up in the middle of the night because I'd gotten a text from my brother, uh, that just said, Spider-Man. And I was like, does this mean what I think it means? And I looked it up, and yes, somehow, Sony and Marvel had come to an agreement. 
uh, Disney and Sony had reached a deal to share Spider-Man. And Peter Parker would finally join the MCU, making his debut in Captain America Civil War before starring in his own film. Spider-Man is such an interesting character, specifically in regards to the two that come before her, because you can find a lot of similarities between Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man, as well as um, Peter Parker. There's Mm. some differences, obviously. But Tom Holland's Spider-Man is, like, over here. He is in, like, another area of Spider-Man, where these two are, like, over here, kind of playing in the same ballpark. I really like that. I mean, a lot of it is Tom Holland is, like, the ultimate spider-man i know we dig on the ultimate Sp- universe a lot on this show but ultimate spider-man is not actually a problem and tom holland was a good uh sort of like thing that came from that yeah i love and this will certainly be something we get into on the spider-man episode a little bit more in depth and i'm sorry to invoke that phrase that we'll talk about in another episode but uh i think they made a really smart choice by going with a younger spider-man that yes. you know we've had spider-man in what is it five marvel movies now and mm-hmm. he still has a graduated high school. You know, he's still a 16-year-old kid. I love that. And that's something... Which is weird, because Tom Holland's, like, in his yeah. 20s. He's, like... But he's... He, does not, he is not a 16-year-old. But he has the body of a dancer, so he looks young. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just remember... Yes, really like, <laughs> I remember thinking, there's no way you can do Civil War without Spider-Man. And yet, I didn't think there was any way they would get Spider-Man. So when they got him, it just felt, like, it just felt impossible. And then he ends up being barely part of the movie. Yeah. But that's fine. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, that, I guess we'll get to that bit. But they couldn't have really done the plot of the, the comic book version of Spider-Man and Civil War because this was the introduction to Spider-Man. Right. If they'd had right. Spidey since the beginning, oh, we would have gotten a very different Civil War movie. But do you think just Spidey being in it was the difference between why they went with the direction they did? I think they went with the direction they did. Because they didn't, they they didn't want to go so far into it. Because specifically in the MCU, the problem with doing like the registration act is that nobody in the MCU actually has a secret. Yeah, identity. just Spider Man, really. <laughs> everyone knows who everyone yeah. is, right? There's there are no secrets. Everyone just is yeah. who they are. Um, yeah, and I I think they did a a good job of adapting the idea of the superhero registration act to the reality of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's version of of the superheroes. Uh, I'm going to have opinions on this. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, then. So the movie opens 1991, the year I was born. Uh, 1991. The Winter Soldier. He's brought out of cryogenic sleep. Somebody's reading some words to him, and he announces that he's ready to comply. You can see he's kind of got like a glazed look over his face. He crashes some kind of car. And some road somewhere, and he takes a case that's got some like uh, it's got some blue goo in it. We don't really know what it is yet, but we find out that eventually, I love it. (laughs) That it is super soldier serum. Um, Fast forward, we're in modern day Lagos. Captain America and fellow Avengers. We got Black Widow. We got Falcon. We got Scarlet Witch. They're following a terrorist group led by Brock Rumlow, aka Crossbones. Um, the group stops Rumlow from stealing uh, like a biochemical weapon. Rumlow attempts to kill Steve Rogers with a suicide bomb, and Scarlet Witch attempts to save everyone. And by saving everyone, she means kill a bunch of people. Um, so, That's so she rude. attempts. She, didn't she do attempts wrong. to save some people. I mean, sure, she attempts to save a bunch of people. But while she attempts to save people, she ends up killing someone. She, you know, she broke a few eggs to make some omelets, right? Uh, so. 
all of this happens. Wanda's pretty shaken up about it. Um, and we fast forward to Tony being over at MIT. He's delivering a speech about his parents. He's got this weird thing that'll end up being uh, a callback in um, Far From Home, where he calls it barf. He calls a little like headset that he has barf. Um, and he's confronted by a woman whose son dies in Sokovia. Sad. Um, and it's the beginning of a long-running theme of guilt in this movie. And Chris, you wanted to touch on on that theme specifically. Yeah, yes. Uh, let me scroll down to my notes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I think that there is a big theme throughout this movie. Uh, and it's three things intertwined. Blame, guilt, and grief. And how the grief affects the guilt that people are feeling or affects how people choose to blame people for it. So it starts right here. Well, even earlier, we see the uh, um, in, in the Lagos scene, we know that Scarlet Witch is going to be feeling great guilt for uh, for what she's done, how she accidentally killed those people and how the world is blaming her. Uh, so we we get here. So the the scene that Tony is recreating with Barf. Barf is a uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's Barf. It's fun. Uh, no one could get mad about that, right? Um, <laughs> foreshadowing, <laughs> like ten episodes from now. Uh, but what what Tony is revisiting is he's revisiting 1991, the year you were born. Uh, and it is, uh, it's the last time he saw his parents before they died. And he feels guilty about how he left things with his father, with Howard, bef- before he died. And that's something that we see, again, even more of in the future. Uh, so that's, that's right there. We have Tony feeling guilty about that. He feels guilty because we find out that, uh, that he and Pepper are on a break, as, uh, as Ross Geller would say. And... <laughs> And, and and as we find out a little bit later, it's because even though he tried to give up being Iron Man in at the end of Iron Man 3, he can't quit it. He keeps going back. He goes, I went back and did the Hydra raids. And then we did this. And then and then and then. So he so that, so they've broken up because of that. And then when he uh, when he runs into the woman uh, downstairs after he gives his speech, uh, he uh, this woman, it, her son was a recent college graduate. Wanted to change the world, but before he took a job, he decided to spend a year doing things, and he was building houses in Sokovia, and he died. And he died in the attack on Sokovia. And what she says to him, uh, she goes, you murdered him. He's dead, and I blame you. And that really sticks with Tony. And we've already seen how bad Tony is at dealing with death. Like, he does not cope with it well at all. If someone dies on his watch, he's not prepared for that. Uh, we, we saw it first in the Avengers when uh, uh, when Coulson died and how it shook him and how like Steve was upset, but he also was in World War II. He's had friends die. He as 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 much as someone can get used to it. Steve is used to it. Tony, he does not come from that world and he does not take it well. So that's what leads him to back the Accords. Uh, we, of course, we meet T'Challa later, the Black Panther, and his arc also de- deals with the grief over his father and how how that leads to rage and how he wants to kill the man that he thinks killed his father. 
uh, and and how he comes to terms with that. Uh, we see it in in Steve in Steve's arc, especially how it inter- intersects with Tony's at the end. The guilt that he feels for keeping the knowledge of how Tony's parents actually died from him. It's in Bucky's arc because as he's becoming more of himself, he has to grapple with everything he did as a Winter Soldier. Even though he didn't have any control, even though he was brainwashed and controlled by Hydra, he had been turned into a weapon. Uh, he he tells Steve because I still did it. And uh, in his exchange with Tony at the end, he goes, do you even remember them? And he says, I remember all of them. And, you know, he's feeling incredible guilt because of that as well. And I just think it's interesting. And, oh, God, Peter Parker. It's implied. (laughs) It is implied. And they do a great job of saying it without saying it. Um, uh, But if you know the story of Spider-Man, even though they don't spell it out for you in this, his whole mo is he becomes a superhero because he feels like it's his fault that his uncle got, his uncle got killed and that's what drives him to be a hero and he says if you can do the things that i can do and Just you don't it. and the bad things happen it's your fault it's with great power comes great responsibility uh saying it without saying it but uh, yeah, it, it is very, it's just kind of, it never really struck me how much that touches so many different arcs in this. Uh, and you could really go into it with a lot of the different characters, even characters I didn't mention, I'm sure, deal with that as well. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. It's one that I didn't actually think about while watching the movie, but now that you're saying it, it's a, it's an interesting facet of this movie. I don't, um, I, I don't know. When I think of this movie, I don't think of it as a, sort of this like i think of it as like an action fest right like i think of civil war and i think of the airport Mm -hmm. scene and i think of you know the last scene with tony and um bucky and steve fighting i don't necessarily think of this as a movie about relationships even though there's there's a lot but i guess when i think back on this movie i think about watching it it's not the first thing that comes to mind so it's interesting to hear your point of view where it's you know it's a character movie to you which is interesting because it's not necessarily that way. To well, me. and I think it's interesting hearing both of you guys say that because I actually like I agree with both of you. Like when I think of this movie, I think of it as an action fest, but I think of it as an action fest driven by these personal relationships and these feelings of almost inadequacy from so many of the characters. And so like weirdly, I feel like you're both right. Yeah, I, I think that with with this being the first time that Marvel really dipped into superhero versus superhero save for you know a scene in ant-man or a couple scenes in avengers you know that the main conflict is between two characters that we that we really care about and really love and have spent several years with at this point uh i I think that yeah it's it's a really good action movie but it's and this is getting a little bit into my other topics i won't say too much about it but it's very much to me, it feels very character-driven in the action. So at this point in the movie, we move on to the next scene. We're at a, we're at Avengers, the upstate New York uh, facility, and your boy is back, the new Secretary of State, Thaddeus Thunderbolt oh, Ross. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it, it, have you noticed he's like toned it down for this movie? As like Think of something like Hulk, like yes. where he was in Hulk. He is yeah. not... This is not the same. This this Ross is mature. He had a heart attack. He he is he is mature. Well, and I think that's why they have they start him with the little the little golf story about having triple bypass. Like it's like, hey, we're gonna tone him down in this yeah. movie. Here's a little anecdote to explain why and 
Right. Now forget about it, the rest of the film. <laughs> Um, so they start talking about the Sokovia Accords. He says that several UN nations, uh, nation members are signing accords agreeing that the Avengers must have UN oversight or they must retire. The group argues over whether or not to agree to the accords. Everybody's kind of have a, have a different position on it. They're sort of, um, they're sort of talk, kind of talking back and forth about it. It's clear um, from a few of them where they stand. For example, Rhodes, he is very much on the side of, hey, look, these are, you know, a, a very large number of nations that have agreed to this, you know, we, we, we have to abide by the rules or else, you know, what, what are we? We are what they say we are, which is the band of vigilantes. Whereas you've got the, the other side uh, of the heavy opposition probably coming straight from Falcon. It was like, yeah, but we can't, what if we need to be somewhere we need to be? What if there's somebody that needs help? We can't just like, we have a responsibility, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Um, and then Tony starts telling the story of this this child that he was guilted at a little while ago, which I think is a little unfair because he was like, hey, look, this lady just got really mad at me for what I, for what we did. So I'm going to make you guys feel that, too. And so he like plays this, you know, you all him. also made a murder bot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and Rogers. Being the, the the person, you know, the the libertarian that he is, uh, is like, look, we got we got freedom here. You got to have the freedom to make your own choices. And if we don't have that freedom, what are we fighting for? Um, now, Robbie Rogers and Stark, kind of Tony Steve, has been set up for a long time. It's been a it's been a a conflict brewing for a while, and it has to do with their differing ideals. Um, and you wanted to touch a little bit on this. Yeah, I may have said this on the Avengers episode, but I vividly remember sitting in the theater um, when the first Avengers came out, watching that and thinking, oh, they're going to be able to do Civil War. Like, because from scene one of Captain America and Iron Man together, they were setting up this difference of opinion in these characters. And they were even already setting it up in terms of authoritarian versus libertarian. Um, And so you could see the characters that that had this very famous, and and at that point, very recent comic arc, coming together from the start. And so it always felt like civil war needed to happen in the MCU. And so it was, it was natural. I feel like that they made this movie and they really, really did a great job of, I felt like having the characterization of the two build up the entire time. And also what's very interesting is that these, they made the most iconic characters from civil war. Like they set them up as, huge famous exciting characters from the start i i remember when they were advertising this movie like there was this whole thing about team cap versus team iron man and everyone you know really bought into that it was a fun way to kind of kind of hype the movie and everyone picked their side even though no one actually stopped to think about why are you picking this side um which i want to get to in a second but um it, it was just neat that we had this culmination of what was possible with these two characters with what ended up being I think I can safely say the most popular characters in this extremely lucrative film um, franchise. And they set up basically being able to take what's one of their biggest stories and probably the biggest story that involves both of them and put it on screen. And it was nice that that you kind of saw the the seed of that literally the first time they are doing a scene together. Um, then, um, and, and I mean, so and I want to talk to you guys about we have this, we have this Team Cap versus Team Iron Man thing, and I really just wanted before we get into the you know the meat of this film to get kind of get your opinions on what does this look like? Is this realistic? How would we realistically act? Because I think we mostly flock to 
um, you know, Team Cap, like, yeah, let them be free and let them do their thing. And like, yeah, that all sounds well and good. But if we actually had, you know, men in robot suits that could take out armies and, and, you know, peak humans and witches that could do whatever power they felt like at the moment, like, would we actually be okay with their freedom? And would we as a society not actually want them to at least, you know, maybe just register with the United Nations? I, I, how would you folks, how would you guys feel if we actually had superheroes running around basically to do what they felt I like? I think I, I agree with you how your knee-jerk reaction would be, yeah, I'm Team Cap, you know, because we all love Cap and we think he stands for all that's good and right. Um, but when you watch this movie and you listen to the two sides and you kind of realize like, oh, Tony kind of has a point, you know, him and, and Rhodey and and Black Widow. And she says, if we have one hand on the wheel, we can still steer. Like she's seeing what's going on, reading the terrain, as she puts it, and seeing like, OK, maybe we do need to kind of admit we've made some mistakes. We need to back down, you know, and maybe have some, you know, oversight and. Um, and, you know, I mean, Wanda straight up murders a whole bunch of people in the <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. That's so harsh. It's, That's so harsh. She she's not, she's... There was no intent. <laughs> but like, you know, it's when you think of, you know, the real world and our troops abroad in the Middle East and, you know, the kind of missions that they carry out and how thought through they are and how planned out they are and the permission that they need, I'm sure, to be able to do things. And, you know, she just knee-jerk reaction is to save Cap, which understandable, but then she ends up, you know, torching half a building by accident. And so I can, when I watch this, and especially on this most recent rewatch, you definitely kind of realize that maybe Tony's side is kind of in the right here. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you guys. Okay. Um, I think a lot of what's happened is largely the fault of one person, Tony Mm -hmm. Stark. Oh, sure. And so it's really easy to be like, (laughs) so it's really easy for him to be like, hey, guys, we've all made some mistakes here. So we all need some oversight. Maybe the only person that really needs oversight is Tony Stark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, maybe Wanda a little bit because of what she just messed up. But all the other guys are like, hey, look, we were just wrong place, wrong time, man. We're not the actual cause of any of this. I mean, Hulk is in space. He's in a, another, you know, offender of, of this. But also, that's the U.S. government's fault for making him in the first place. There's a lot of blame to go around here. So it's weird to be like, you know, we've all done some bad stuff, so we all need to, like, fall into this bucket and fall into this. I think that's the whole point is that, like, you know, we th- there's a facet there of individuality, and we're not we're we're looking at this people as a group because they associate themselves together, but we're not looking at their individual actions. So you can tell me, with a straight face, that if Vision was walking around, you would actually be up in arms that the government dared to want him to at least answer to them. That's not what I said. Okay. What I said was, this is all Tony's fault. Mm-hmm. No, no, I no, 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 I do agree with that. I do agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Vision says it. He says, I think there's a causality, you know, ever since Tony announced himself as Iron Man, and he's right. I mean, that kind of... I mean, there's 
Correl- I mean, it's the, the quote, right? Correlation is not causation. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, Vision should know that correlation yeah, is Yeah, that's actually kind of jumped out. <laughs> while it is time. correlation, it's not necessarily causation. Because, like, they didn't bring, you know, the big aliens to come and, you know, mess some stuff up. No, some of them like, did. Some of them so did. Many, but, uh, and I agree with you how a lot of this comes from Tony as well. That, you know, because he's... How many villains have we had now and are about to have, too? that they do the bad things because they're mad at Tony <laughs> because that's, that's correct. of something he did, maybe not even as Iron Man, something he did as the CEO of Stark Industries and, mm-hmm. you know, weapons he created or ways that he treated his employees, you know? So um, also, I don't, I don't disagree with you there that like a lot of bad stuff that happens in the MCU is Tony's fault essentially. Yeah. Oh, 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 absolutely. But I also don't think just his side in general and especially you know, like the way that Rhodey sees it, like I think is kind of a rational way to see it. Right. Or, or honestly, the way Vision sees it. Vision says, I can fly through things. Please restrain me. That said, Black Widow, like what is she doing here? She's really just a really good spy. Like what is she? She doesn't really take <laughs> yes, like I'm a side. <laughs> she doesn't. No, I just mean like, what, she... is, what is the UN doing being like, hey, you there, super spy? answer to us it's she's not technically an enhanced individual which is what the sokovia accords are about right if you so she could have just stayed out there she could have just said y'all are both right y'all are good i'm gonna most of them are not enhanced individuals if you like are we counting machinery as enhancement i I think we are i think we're calling proprietary machinery enhancement yeah so so that there there's actually they actually focus on that in the comic on like this is included if you build it and it makes you stronger it counts okay interesting i I think we get into a weird debate here about um, oh yes and i want it and we don't have time for it but absolutely (laughs) we get into a really weird debate of like you know who takes who really takes the blame for this it's a it's a very large chicken and the egg problem like because someone exists and something bad happens around them does that make it their fault that it happened all right all right let's get philosophical come on come on we, this, this is not this is going in a really weird direction and I want to bring that up, i was not playing the point that steve makes when he's making his arguments is that if you're being held accountable to people it's like yeah it's the un but what if they send you somewhere that you shouldn't be what if they don't send you somewhere that you should be and he says the safest hands are still our own and yeah, I mean, as long as Captain America is there, I agree with that. You know, I mean, as long as there is a Captain America in charge of the a Avengers. benevolent dictator, if you will. <laughs> now, that's the thing is that what happens when some other super what happens when you get a Mysterio, for example? I'm just going to use him as an as an example. Someone who. No, J. Jonah, uh, J. Jonah Jameson says he's the best. Right. And I believe hey, no, see, right. this is what exactly. happens if your checks and balances <laughs> fail and you elect a like a reality television star. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go there, but you did, so I will. You know, it's when you have a system in place, it's all well and good until people ignore the system. I have a question. Yeah. So <laughs> they made such a big stink in Age of Ultron about saving civilians. We have to save the civilians. You know, Tony's scanning buildings to make sure there's no civilians in it before it topples and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you guys talked about in that episode about, you know, this was like a reaction to Batman v Superman or no um, man of steel and, you know, the complete disregard for civilians in that film. 
Um, but was Civil War in the pipeline? Like, did they know a big theme of this movie was going to be, you know, all the civilian casualties and, you know, these accords to help avoid that? Or was talking so much about saving the civilians in in Age of Ultron, was that just like a short-sighted choice just to yeah. differentiate itself from DC? In all honesty, I think you bring up a good point in what to me is is a slight negative of an overall good film, but I, I don't know if it's that. I think it's just it was handled clumsily. I think there is a good way to handle caring about civilian casualties, like not having wanton death, rescuing people, keeping people out of harm's way, and understanding you can't keep everyone out of harm's way, and there's still going to be collateral damage. And for whatever reason, the MCU does not seem to handle that very well. They don't seem to handle particularly well. We're going to keep people from dying, but we can't keep everyone from dying. And, and like for, and you know, they give those death totals up on the screen. Honestly, those death totals are unreasonable. It's unreasonable. What is it? Like 93 people died in the battle of New York. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't buy that. That's you toning down the death totals to make it feel less harsh. like, like it's yeah. not man of steel, right? Less harsh. And I feel like there's a realistic number you can have. That is our heroes did a good job of saving the day, but also people still died. And it's mm -hmm. just, to your point, Angela, I just think it just wasn't really handled well. It seems inconsistent. And again, any nitpicking I have of this movie is nitpicking, but that is actually a nit to pick. Yeah. I th I think the inconsistency is on purpose. I think, and this is maybe this is me just theory, you know, theory crafting over here. I've got a wild theory in my, my head. But if I'm looking at the MCU and I'm looking at Age of Ultra and I go, look, while this movie made a lot of money, I don't consider this movie a success. What can we salvage from this movie to help push the MCU forward? They take Sokovia, they take, you know, hey, look, this big catastrophic thing happened. Let's roll with that. I don't think when they were making Age of Ultron, they were like, oh, this is going to go real good in Civil War. No, I think it was the opposite. I think they made Age of Ultron and they were trying to think of what they were going to do for Civil War. And they're like, hey, what was that crap fest we did back there? We should uh, we should use some of that. And I think that's where they moved well, I mean, forward. they were making Civil War like around the same time that Ultron was finishing up production. So they already did have an idea of where they were going. Because like I said, they, they announced Civil War before Ultron had even come out. So they definitely had been looking a couple steps ahead. Now, I, I don't think they necessarily did Sokovia so they could do Civil War, but I think they looked at it and said, this is a good inciting, uh, a good way to get Civil War started. Yeah. Uh, I, and, yeah, so, no, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was, I was going to say that the, the way I took it, and this could just be me again looking for a no prize, but they, uh, you know, at the end of Ultron... Well, first, I think I think tonally dealing with all the death at the end of the movie of Age of Ultron would not have worked, I think. But, uh, you know, having having the heroes be successful and then later having to come to terms with, hey, we actually weren't as successful as we. As we wanted to think we were, I, I, I think that's interesting. One of, one of the, my problems with this movie and it's a problem I have with a lot of the Marvel movies, if you really sit down and think about it, is that a lot of stuff happens in between movies. The like, like the biggest example in this one, aside from that, is Tony and Pepper breaking up and then getting back together off screen 
as we find out at the end of Spider-Man. You know, it seems like a lot of big changes happen off screen and are just sort of dealt with with a line of dialogue. But yeah, the yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with Robbie where it's like I, I think that there was sort of a, a plan that they were looking ahead, but they weren't setting it up in Age of Ultron. They were letting it happen in Age of Ultron and then saying, and then we will deal with it in Civil War. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> while this is this whole debate is going on, Rogers gets a uh, he gets a text, and it's the news of Peggy Carter's passing. Mm. Sad. Um. He's so he goes to the funeral, finds out that Agent Thirteen, the woman that was spying on him as his weird fake nurse neighbor, is actually Sharon Carter, um, her niece. Sharon says that line that Robbie was talking about, when the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree behind the river of truth and tell the world, no, you move. And apparently that line comes directly from Captain America talking to Spider-Man in issue six of Civil War. Um, He tells Natasha that he'll retire instead of submitting the UN oversight. Like, he's not going to do it. he, He can't, he doesn't feel comfortable being a part of it, which is strange, um, because like he's still like powerful right like at any point he could so like it's weird that like the the whole superhero registration act or whatever it is the Scovia Accords as we call it here um it's done to be like hey look we want to give you some oversight but these people can be like I'm not signing this and then still just do what they want and I guess they have like the fear of of being arrested or whatever but like who's really gonna arrest Captain America but I guess that's where we go throughout the rest yeah, of the Yeah, arrest movie. vision, do it. <laughs> um, so a man named, oh God, I can't say this, Helmet Zero? Zemo. <laughs> Helmet Zero. Hel- no, Helmet Zemo. Zemo, I'm sure I wrote Zero, but Helmet, Helmet Zemo. Zero. Who, by the way, quick, quick side note, Helmet Zero's, uh, <laughs> Baron, Baron Zemo. Helmet Zero's motivation in the comics, Zemo. His motivation in the comics is literally that Captain America accidentally spilled glue on his face, thus making his mask permanently stuck and wanting revenge because of Captain America spilling glue on oh his face. Gosh. And I really wish that Maybe was included in the, the film. Soldier, baby. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Helmet Zemo. Helmet Zemo tracks down a Hydra agent in hiding. <laughs> Um, and he steals a book of words. It's got a, it's, it's a red book. It's got a star on it, and it's what is used to control the Winter Soldier. Right. He demands information. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm press the mute button right now. He demands information on a previous mission report, but doesn't get it. Um, the King of Hermit African Nation Wakanda. Why did you have to write it like that? Hermit? Why did you have to say it was the King of Hermit African Nation Wakanda? It, it is a hermit nation. It is not a... What are you... That's what... No, that's what Wakanda's whole deal is, is that they're, like, withdrawn and secretive. Yeah, but why'd you have to use the word hermit? Okay, isolationist. <laughs> Uh, he delivers a speech at the signing of the Sokovia Accords, but he is killed by a bomb planted outside the building. I think we get a nice scene here 
um, with T'Challa and Romanov a little bit right before where they kind of introduced, he kind of introduces himself and him and um, Natasha have a nice little interaction and we get some interaction with his, um, his Baba. Uh, and the King's son T'Challa tells Romanov that he will find and kill Bucky Barnes, who has been reported to be the person that has caused this large explosion. Roger tells Romanov that he will find and not kill Barnes. He's got to find his friend because he's his pal. Earlier in the movie, uh, Crossbones let him know, hey, he remembers who you are. He might even remember who he is. And uh, Steve cannot help but think that he might be able to save his friend. Um, so this movie, sort of in general, is a continuation of this this Captain America story. We had the original one um, where we get Steve uh, being himself. We get Bucky uh, supposedly passing away in that movie. Then we find out in, um, in Winter Soldier that Bucky is back. And here we have sort of the continuation of, of this larger Captain America narrative. And Angela, you wanted to touch on that and a few of the other characters that have kind of progressed throughout these movies. Yeah. Um, this is, this movie, I think definitely, and I, probably noticed this the most on our rewatch um how much of a continuation of winter soldier this is i almost feel like it's more as much as sokovia is talked about in this film and literally is centered around this sokovia Accords um document i feel like this movie is a direct sequel to winter soldier and not age of ultron um i think the characters are written similarly, you know, I guess because Joss Whedon has such a different writing style than is it Marcus, Marcus and, and McFeely. McFeely. Um, so I was just really grateful for that, especially when it comes to black widow and how much they butchered her in age of Ultron. Um, I, Chris mentioned it, I guess on my behalf in the age of Ultron episode, but I do not like how Joss Whedon writes her. I didn't even, I didn't like it in the first Avengers and I certainly didn't like it in age of Ultron. She's very kind of has this like fake persona on, but not like in a cool spy way, just like a fake, like, hello boys, you know, kind of thing. And it's so cheesy and not again, not cheesy in a good way. It's just bad. Like, but in winter soldier, she finally started to feel like a real person with, feelings and a story arc and and you know somewhere to go and and I talked a lot about her friendship with Steve and then they they come back to that in this like in the cathedral is a really nice moment between them and and she gives him a hug and she's there for him you know and it, this is like a side of her that we're not used to but we can see from Winter Soldier and this movie how she's growing and I don't know they just it, I, I appreciate that this is more Winter Soldier-esque. And obviously it would be because it's the Russos again and the same writers and all that stuff. But, um, you know, there was so much that was not good about Age of Ultron that I appreciate that this is more taking its cue from Winter Soldier instead. Um, I will get into later, I guess, um, the amount of fighting in this film. And that's also Winter Soldier-esque, but in a bad way, the, you know, just, I get fatigued with that, but I won't get into that just yet. But um, in terms of the characters <laughs> and the writing, I think 
this movie is definitely following in where soldiers stride and i i appreciated that yeah for me the in the first scene in lagos when uh she's giving wanda these instructions on how to be a spy and sam says i don't ever tell you you're a little paranoid and she goes not not to my face why did someone say something i i was like oh she's back <laughs> like this is good black widow i'm i and I was it was just very great to have that version of nat back one difference though I love her hair in this movie <laughs> and yes. I hated her hair yes. in Winter Soldier. So that changed. Yes. I'm okay with. Okay. I didn't even like her hair in, uh, in Avengers. Yeah. I, I loved, loved her hair in Iron yes. Man two. And then I love her hair in this one. Yes. And that's it. Okay. The power rankings right. of uh, black widow hairstyles. I think civil war is at top. Poll, <laughs> if... poll here, civil war, black widow versus, um, uh, hope Van Dyne in Ant-Man who has worse hair. Oh, it's hope. Oh, well, we've, it's we we just said that Civil War Black Widow has good hair. You mean Winter? I'm Soldier. sorry, Winter Soldier. My oh, apologies. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, yeah, still hope. Still. <laughs> I I hope I would still worst. say Winter Soldier because at least for what the character Hope is is in the first Ant Man, and you know, as Louise says in the second Ant Man, I'm all business. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> Look at my haircut. I'm all business. Um. <laughs> But like it's true like that's that was a character choice like i i think that worked i didn't like it but it, i think it worked for her whereas that's... black widow's hair in winter soldier was so out of left field from the way we had seen her up to that point you know and then it went back to normal in age of ultron and you know what i mean like it was just a poor poor choice we only discuss say... the uh, the hard-hitting issues yeah. here on assembly required I wanted to say, Angela, I'm glad you brought that up because first off, I agree. Second, as I am rewatching this, I realized that a lot of my bad taste for how Black Widow was treated in the MCU is really just all Ultron. Like Ultron apparently just left such a bad taste for Black Widow in my mouth that I just kind of passed it off to every movie, which probably wasn't fair and retrospective is teaching me it wasn't. Well, I'm glad we did this podcast. I just didn't realize <laughs> how much I liked her. Like I... Up in before this retrospective, I was kind of meh on Black Widow, and just watching her more carefully and and kind of paying better attention to her story arc. Like I am appreciating her way more this go around. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think these movies have a sense of dazzle, right? Like there there are certain characters that it's really hard to not look at them when they're on the screen. I think. First watching through, Robert Downey Jr. sort of steals the show wherever he is. Chris Evans, you can say a lot of the same thing. And there are a few characters. Like in this movie, you're looking for Spider-Man. You're looking for the new characters. So you're not necessarily paying attention to someone who's, you know, playing the role that Black Widow is. But now that we're watching it again, you can kind of appreciate what she's doing because you're not like focused on these hyper mega, you know, characters that need to suck up all the attention in the room. That's a good point. Um, so Carter gives Rogers information on where Barnes is and Sam Wilson Falcon agrees to go with his buddy to go find uh, what will eventually be his future showmate. Um, Rogers meets Barnes in Bucharest. Bucharest? Bucharest? Bucharest. Yeah, it was Bucharest, yeah, Bucharest. not Budapest. Budapest. <laughs> right. Budapest, yeah. <laughs> And Barnes uh, indicates that he still does not recognize Rogers, but insists he is not responsible for he the bomb. Buy his plums. 
Right, he was just trying to have a good time, man. He just wants to buy his plums, you know, this thing. We get a we get our first fight scene. The two begin uh, to escape some military police. Uh, they're confronted by a man with super strength and a bulletproof what looks like a cat suit. He's got some claws. Uh, and let me let me say yet again, the MCU is not afraid of being comic book movies, and God bless mm-hmm. it, because you just said the line, "A man in a bulletproof cat suit with claws." <laughs> Hey man, uh, we find out that the the man is T'Challa, prince and future king oh, of Wakanda. King. Oh, although I guess technically no, not, not yet. Ooh. Technically, he's still prince. He's not king until he actually not, not until the challenge. Uh, like right to the yeah. challenge. Um, Can I? Interesting that I want to mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm-hmm. So in Black Panther. They mention how, like, the shield is like, wait, Wakanda has vibranium? What are you talking about? But in the UN speech that the, T'Chaka gives to everyone, he's like, they stole vibranium from Wakanda and, like, literally lets everyone know that vibranium is. Oh, they. That is some deep criticism of Black Panther. I don't think it's criticism of Black Panther, but I think there is some inconsistency. Now, it's funny because in my notes, I actually have, I'm a little confused about Wakanda's place in the world in this, but I think it was known. I think they kind of said in Black Panther, they knew that they had vibranium, but they also thought that Claw had stolen all the vibranium and that, and that okay. they had been depleted of their vibranium. Yeah, resources. I thought that was public record that yeah. Ulysses Claw had stolen all the, all quote unquote, the vibranium. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, having just watched it, when I saw this movie, I definitely just accepted, okay, Wakanda is highly advanced and hides the fact that they're highly advanced, because, okay, that's what Wakanda is uh-huh. in the comics. But now that you say that, if I didn't have any knowledge of the source material, I'm pretty sure I would have no clue that that's what Wakanda is in this film, and yet it's also simultaneously important. And and yeah, so I think it's okay I don't that think you it's don't a big know, criticism. because it's, with the exception of Black Widow, apparently, because she has a line when... When she goes, oh, they couldn't find him for seven years, so you can probably do it in half the time. So clearly she knows what's up with Wakanda. And she seems to be aware of even the Black Panther because she's trying to talk T'Challa down from panthering out before before any, any of this happens. Um, but panthering, yeah. panthering out makes me think he should be Kitty Carl. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so it, we get a sense that you know, when T'Chaka gives his speech at the at, at the UN or wherever it is, uh, he talks about how he's they want to be a little bit more a part of the world. Although we, I think we do find out in Black Panther that it wasn't going to be as much as as T'Challa ended up revealing, uh, because because the whole reason that Wakanda is even involved is because there were Wakandan ambassadors in Lagos who were killed, and that and that was how this happened. Um, but I, I think it's okay. Yeah. You know, we knew going in, you know, a lot of people knew going in that, that Wakanda was super advanced, but if you consider where the rest of the world didn't know that all we need to know is they're a tiny African country. They had some vibranium and now they don't as far as we know. (laughs) But if we're talking about inconsistencies retrospectively, um, it's interesting that T'Chaka's speech, he's talking about, you know, the the ambassadors and, and, and like what this mission, I guess, 
this like goodwill mission that um, the Wakandans were on in Nigeria. So they're trying to help the world and do good things. But I feel like the whole conflict in Black Panther is that, you know, Nakia thinks that that's what they should be doing is going out and helping the world. Yeah. And T'Challa's like, no, we can't because we can't reveal ourselves. And, you know, like there's that whole struggle, but they were sort of already doing that. Yeah, that right. That definitely. Well, maybe they were headed in that direction, right? Like maybe that's where they were headed and then T'Chaka died. And all T'Challa knew was, you know, what they had been in the past. But I thought T'Chaka was the one who kind of set the tone for, you know, that that Wakanda could not reveal itself and... Yeah, that's how I felt. Well, I, I think Chachaka did from the beginning, but I think maybe this is him turning over a new leaf. Like maybe something, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to do some mental gymnastics yeah. with Black Panther because I like yeah, it so and, much. And, and, <laughs> and to be fair, you kind of have to do that when they're making these up as they go. Yeah. It's like, hey. Right. They, right. That, that's really it's what it was. It's not a big deal. It's just since we're looking at this right. as a retrospective. like Right. Yeah. It's, it's a small things, inconsistency. So. I like both movies. I'm glad Black Panther showed up in here. It was worth it. Uh-huh. It's... But it's yeah. not so glaring that you're making like, up as Panther, go along. the movie now does not make sense at all. It's just one of those things where if you think about it, uh, it's fridge logic. If you think about it too hard, you're like, oh, well, that doesn't quite work. But then you just go, oh, well, it's fine. Yeah, so, but it, it, it's a superhero movie. You think about anything too long, things start to to unravel. If you think about a man who can phase through things that's also a robot, that's also an Infinity Stone, <laughs> that you also start to kind of really get confused. Sweater. I'm sorry, I just got to so, say, Chris. vision and people clothes. <laughs> So, Chris, would you call this one of the biggest plot holes of the MCU? I will. I will reach through the screen and smack you. Just for for reference for all of you listening who don't know us in real life, one one of my biggest pet peeves, I think Robbie shares this, is that the world seems to think that plot hole means something in a movie I didn't understand. (laughs) like when people say how could they blow up the death star and then they go oh rogue one explained that plot hole no there was no plot hole (laughs) anyway so cat suit bulletproof cat suit made of vibranium he's the wakandan protector the black panther soon to be king of wakanda cut to a scene of Vision and Wanda bonding over dinner. He's making a pinch of paprika. Um, and then he gets ruined by revealing that Stark has Vision watching her to keep her from causing further destruction. He has her on house arrest. He put her in timeout, as she mm-hmm. says. Um, in American embassy custody in Berlin, Stark continues to try to convince Rogers while T'Challa is released on diplomatic immunity. Hey. <laughs> Zemo poses as a psychiatrist interviewing Barnes and an EMP. Oh, sorry, yes, this Chris. is just a tiny, tiny fact. But um, did you notice what uh, the cell number of Bucky's prison is? It is no. D23. And it is, in fact, named after the fan club because Kevin Feige is a big old Disney nerd in addition to all the other things he is. Of course <laughs> it is. Um, so Zima poses a psychiatrist interviewing Barnes and EMP goes off, um, which takes down all the electricity. So Barnes, or I'm sorry, Zemo starts reading off the words to brainwash Barnes to get him to start really messing some stuff up again. And he sends him on a rampage. He attacks the Avengers um, and he tries to escape the embassy. We get that really cool scene 
I mean, cool scene. I think um, really favorite scene by a select group of, of people of Steve hanging onto the side of a building and also hanging onto the side of a helicopter and then just like flexing every muscle in his body and just like when he posing for like forever. <laughs> I have known multiple people of that demographic that literally have that as their computer background. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a fine I'm, scene. I'm not judging. I'm just stating. But there's got to be at least one of those in every movie. Every Marvel movie has like a look how shredded I am moment. And this is just this movie's version of that. Even Ant-Man has like shredded Paul Rudd cleaning up his like wounds, right? Like every we got to have it, right? It's not a Marvel movie if it doesn't have it. You're absolutely right. And I never even caught it until this moment. Although this one doesn't yeah, have man, any there's... shirtless scenes unless you count Vision, I guess. <laughs> but he has like a permanent shirt yeah i mean i suppose and he wears a sweater over a collared shirt at one point he makes some really interesting i choices. really wish they'd just given him reading glasses too because <laughs> he clearly doesn't need that makes me really excited well for the that, uh, fashion choice it makes me really excited for wandavision oh wandavision is gonna be great I, it's impossible it won't be can't it seems like they're gonna do a lot of really weird stuff with that show and mm-hmm. that sounds like That's it's a lot so of fun excited. um so we're here. We got another fight scene. Fight scene number two of how many? Um, probably too many. Uh, okay, Robbie's gonna count. No, keep talking while I count. <laughs> okay, we're gonna keep talking while Robbie counts. But like a lot, a lot, of, a lot of fight scenes in this movie. Um, Angela, you're not uh, you're not a big fan of the old fight scenes in this movie, or at least how many there are and how long they well, go. I'm not a big fan of fight scenes in general. However, just. Even for people who like fight scenes, with as with any like too much of anything is too much. Like it takes away the power of that thing. So I just feel like the airport scene and the fight at the end between Cap and Iron Man would have more power if there was less other fighting in the movie. Like it just it, there's just so much of it, and I. I said this in Winter Soldier too. Like I just I fast forward through it because it's just it's just too much, and and it, I get fatigued, and that's that's what drags this movie down for me, you know. And it's too bad because there are moments in this movie that are incredible, and characters that make their first appearance, you know, that's really fun. And um, so I was kind of confused when when this movie came out, and so many people, you know, the person sitting next to me included. Who were like, oh my gosh, Winter or Civil War is the best movie in the MCU so far. Which I feel like people say that, by the way, after each one comes out. But anyway, <laughs> um, just Get people em. were like blown away by Civil War, and I enjoyed it. But I also it was dragged down for me by how much fighting there was, and like, um, so I just didn't really understand all the hype i mean i understood the hype obviously for like spider-man and and again like the new characters and all that stuff but it just i think people were kind of blowing it out of proportion how great this movie was you know because i don't think it stands up to winter soldier i don't think it stands up to the first avengers movie i enjoy guardians of the galaxy more than this you know like i so i just yeah so it's really fun to hear you say that 
One, because I guess, maybe I don't remember. I don't remember people holding it up as saying, oh, it's better than the original Avengers and it's better than Winter Soldier. Maybe they did and I just don't remember. Um, I know, I know Soundlord did, but I'm not counting him. Um, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> Every time an MCU movie comes Understood. out, I see my newsfeed flooded with statuses of like, I think I have a new favorite MCU movie. And I'm like, come on. It's, and it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you call it? Recency bias? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, exactly I do believe you there's is. recency bias. I just don't, I, I maybe I've just forgotten it with this one because it's not recent enough for me. But I do think it's interesting to hear you say that because um, this, you're probably about to get real mad at me because part of why this movie was not that great to me as much as it was for other people is because I didn't think there were enough fight scenes for a film about civil war. Hmm. I disagree. I should say really big enough fight scenes, but I think I'm going to take Angela's side on this one. I think a few of these fight scenes, while I think there's like a fine number of them, a few of them go on really long. The one that comes to mind is the one where they're like escaping the like apartment buildings and it's like, but they're, and they're like fighting the like, police office or whatever they are yes it's just so it just goes on for a really long faster and gotten right to the cool car stuff i feel like yeah perfect Uh, yeah Yeah. i I think yeah okay you know my issue with the fights is at least in the first half of the movie the camera is shaking like a madman. Right. Yeah. And it, I, I, Especially I get, in the logos. Yeah. The logos stuff. It was, it was actually yeah. distracting to me. Uh, yeah. That's what, time. when I was watching logos, I was thinking this is like, like when Ridley Scott does an action movie yeah. um, more recently, not, he didn't do this in alien, but like, um, what is it? Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. I can't tell what's happening in the movie because the, the, the screen, the, the camera's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt in this. And honestly, I agree. I, I think the apartment the apartment escape went on too long. But what I'm I'm not really fatigued by this didn't this had too much fighting. I think I'm fatigued by the stunts were cool, but I wasn't that interested in what was happening until towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I felt like, you know, this you know, Black Panther is doing some cool stunts with Winter Soldier, but honestly that's not the pol- that's not the fight I'm interested in. I know this movie is going towards the fight I'm interested in. Please get there. Yeah, yeah. And, and and then those those fights, especially the Lagos fight and the the apartment fight in particular, with that shaky cam, you can't really appreciate Correct. or follow what's going on. Because one yeah. thing you can say about Avengers, uh, the original, and I think a lot of the other Marvel movies, the, the mm-hmm. ones that have the good action, they're shot in a way that it is very clear what is going yes. on. One understands, and I feel like the Russos <clears throat> are better than some of the cinematography. And I know it's not necessarily them. I know, and I know a lot of fight scenes are, you know, the second director or the or the first assistant. Or I I know the second unit director usually does a lot of the the action stuff. But but you feel like they are better than some of the stuff that they put on the screen in this one. And I still love this movie. And I mean, we'll talk about the last two fights later and how I feel about those. But the first few fights, like I said, I once they get to the freeway. I think that that scene gets really great, especially when Bucky grabs the motorcycle, flips it around, jumps onto it. I'm like, that's awesome, you know. But so I think it's Bucky the... grabbing T'Challa from the air by the neck. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. See, there's some there's some great stuff in there, but there's enough that is just like 
you know, it's like if they kept if they had kept a couple of the really cool beats in the apartment, but then cut that down by a good minute and a half, you know, kept a couple of the of the there there are a couple of neat things in it, but overall it does feel like a lot of them go on too long and are shot in such a way that it is not pleasant that they go on so long. Yeah, okay. I'm convinced. Yeah, I think it's got for me some Age of Ultron syndrome of I don't necessarily care or feel like there's going to be any threat in this fight because they're fighting random police guy number 16. <laughs> yes. Whereas in some of the other fights, they're a lot more impactful. And I'm like, who's going to, like the airport scene, mm-hmm. for example, I'm like, I don't know who's going to win this because I've got these two larger than life characters going at it, or these two teams of larger than life characters. Whereas it's the protagonist versus a group of randos. I wonder who's going right. to win, you know? And so. Sorry, that. <laughs> right it makes it hard to invest in legolas and gimli um, that's what it is it's the legolas and gimli uh thing is they're well they're not they're just gonna kill everything and not die uh-huh. right okay well so where were we at we were at oh well they've uh rogers has gotten away with barnes and he's gonna snap him back to his senses and that's right. So Roger stops Barnes by taking down a helicopter with his bare That's hands, right. which we already talked about. He's got the... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he sneaks away with him. Um, Barnes reveals to Rogers and Wilson that Zemo was the bomber, um, and he's trying to awaken a group of additional Winter Soldiers. We get another cut of that scene with Bucky in 1991 but we still don't know who was in the car it'll eventually be um, revealed that it is um tony stark's parents rogers and wilson they kind of discuss trying to stop zemo and needing to assemble others to help them then we start assembling some people and we get a really interesting scene of rogers and sharon carter and he's got a little he's got a little like bug and uh, like a little um, Volkswagen bug and they're like talking and then all of a sudden they just start making out and specifically as a retrospective this is the weirdest most difficult scene to watch because they go in a completely different direction with Steve and where his character ends up and so it is very weird that he makes out with his eventual niece. And it is movie. the ran it, to someone rewatching these films. Like when we're showing it to our chill children, it will be the randomest, weirdest thing to them. It it's, I feel like I can say at this point, it's bad. It, it's, it's, and, and you had the emotional it, funeral of his, his, I don't know his missed dance partner if you however you want to put it like like the his actual romantic companion and we will get the big payoff for that actual romantic companion by the end of the series and then Mm -hmm. it's like also here's a scene where he makes out with her niece and then we're gonna forget that happened it's like if they made a special edition and cut out the end of that scene would anyone complain no, because we still need that scene because it's really important. Oh, you can have that scene, but you can cut out for... the end of it. No, but it's really important to have Bucky ask uh, Falcon to, if he can move his seat up and him to say no. <laughs> yeah. That's why we need that scene for that part The only good things in that scene are, are that and then the face that the faces that Sam and Bucky make after the kiss. So they're like, yeah. 
<laughs> That's like the only good thing about it, though. Even even before everything else happened, I thought it was weird. I mean, because even if it's not his niece, which there is some question about it because timelines no, please wibbly wobbly, uh, but <laughs> wibbly wobbly time yeah, noemi. But uh, but the the fact that it's Peggy's niece is weird in and of itself. And. And, and right here, I want to ask, the text message of she's gone in her sleep, like, Peggy Carter's death in this is so cold. And I really want to hear the female person who cares about Peggy Carter on this podcast respond to this. But uh, it's emotional, but it's only emotional because of where she was in the previous movies and how we've come to care about Peggy Carter. This movie in isolation, it's basically just, hey, hey you know, we killed off the this person that's kind of important. And it's just... It does not feel like it's given the weight it should have. I just feel like so many of these movies assume you've seen everything else that I actually can't fault it for that. Um, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a fitting funeral it was kind of this beautiful you know with the choir and everything in this cathedral in in london you know i i thought that was very fitting for what they would do for peggy um and i really liked sharon's speech um i didn't know where it came from but i i thought it was cool that um in a sense they still had peggy giving Steve advice, you know, and I feel like throughout their relationship, especially in the first Avenger, Peggy is the person that kind of spurs Steve on, you know, she, she helps him kind of believe in himself and, and become Captain America and become, you know, the person he's supposed to be. She's his compass. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and it's cool that, you know, even in death, she's the hero um, that she, you know, via this speech that she is still giving him advice that, you know, he needs to stick with what he's doing, like stick with what he believes in, you know, and say no. Um, so I, I was OK with her funeral scene. Obviously, it was super sad. Um, but. What if in sticking with he what he is doing, he is sticking with doing her niece? How dare you? I am a head out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, the thing that bothers Good app. Her being his niece aside. <laughs> <laughs> um, Not by blood. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> If we can just forget the niece thing for a we second. Can't. No, we can't. <laughs> um, they didn't earn that kiss. Correct. Like, there, Correct. Was, no. there was no setup to this. Like, there's no... He had so much chemistry with Peggy, and they really earned their romance through the events of the first Avenger and, and even after. And him and Sharon have, like, nothing going on. I find Sharon kind of boring and she forgettable. She is boring, in this movie. and I hope that they. I I said this in our little bonus episode about um, 
the Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show. Like, I hope that they give her more to do. I like, I hope they flesh mm-hmm. her out and like actually make her interesting and badass and, you know, give her more because I think she was wasted in these movies. Yeah. You know what's funny? I didn't think there could be a kiss less earned than Thor and Jane, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of not earned, by the way, as a spoiler, the tone of this podcast the ratings we'll be giving at the end are not earned. I just I just wanted to point out that we're we're way out of whack of where we are at the end of this podcast. We're really being kind of kind of critical <laughs> for a movie that I think we've all I said think... we really really like most of us. And I think we do really like this movie. That's why I said most of us. But I think it's important that we are critical to the movies that we like because we can't just be like, all right, I like this movie and there's nothing wrong with it, even though there are perfect movies out there like Black Panther. Um, well y'all said you were nitpicking but i have big picks <laughs> with this movie which is funny because your rating's not that far behind mine <laughs> spoiler so uh stark placates an angry ross by convincing him to allow stark to assemble a team uh to take on rogers wilson and barnes so stark assembles the, the pro accord avengers uh, and T'Challa. He also travels to Queens where he, we finally meet Peter Parker. We meet hot Aunt May. Um, and he finds out, you know, he's like, you know, I know you're Spider-Man. And he kind of convinces him to like kind of take him under his wing and show him, you know, give him an upgrade while, you know, he kind of helps him out the whole superhero thing. Um, on the other side, we've got Roger's team being assembled. We've got, first, we got Clint Barton arriving at Avengers Compound. He's going to save Wanda. Wanda then literally takes Vision and shoves him 30 feet under the ground in a really like terrifying scene where she literally she just, sends like, him to hell. <laughs> she she really does. Like <laughs> by God. Um, I just and it's really a uh, oh go ahead. Just one tiny exception to the statement I was making earlier about how I was glad this is more of a continuation of Winter Soldier. The one thing about Age of Ultron that they carried over that I liked for this was the relationship between Hawkeye and Wanda. Um, Yes. The way that he's kind of a mentor to her, almost father figure-esque to her. Like, you know, basically Mm -hmm. he's that guy to be like, you can do this. You know, you're you're an Avenger. And it... And it makes the you're pulling your punches line so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they kind of carried over, but didn't really carry over? Wanda's accent. Where'd that go? Well, she's been in America for a little bit now, I guess. <laughs> it's just, you just kind of forget yeah. after a while. You don't really lose her. As uh, parents who have very thick accents, let me tell you, the the accents don't just fall off. <laughs> you, don't just for, you don't just forget the accent. They stay forever. <laughs> um. Did, um, when you saw this movie in theaters, did everyone freak out for you when the word Queens appeared on screen? Yes. 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 That it was, so and it, it was like electric in the uh-huh. theater. Everybody was like freaking out. I was so happy that people were applauding because I, I went to this movie for that. And I was happy that I wasn't alone. Yeah. I think a lot of people went to this movie for that. I think a lot of people have been waiting for Spider-Man to be in the MCU. And so much so that when it was announced that he might not be in it anymore, people uh-huh. freaked out. Can, do, you remember, do you remember the first trailer that showed off Spider-Man? Yes. Yeah, uh, how, how they, they saved it for the very end of the trailer. And when he mm-hmm. swings in, steals the shield, that was like such a great trailer moment. It was one of my favorite trailer moments, mm-hmm. I think. 
Ever. and the moving eyes. I, I don't know if you guys pay it, are in like the circles of the internet where I am, but everyone was so excited about the fact that his eyes moved because like it doesn't make any logical sense. But comic book Spider Man, his eyes move; they get wider and they narrow, and they like like he gets facial expressions. And then it was just such a cool thing that they made like a an in universe explanation for oh, it's just. The, the, the eyes have mechanical movement. Like, that was honestly cool, and everyone got really excited mm-hmm. about that. And I got really excited about that. I, I did, too. Yeah, that was a good trailer. Was a touch. It was a good trailer. Yeah. So, um, we've already got Clint. We've got Clint and Wanda. And then Rogers, Wilson, and Barnes meet Maximoff and Barton at the airport, along with their other recruit. Your boy. The best. The best. My boy, Scott Lang, the Ant-Man. Uh, he shakes Steve's hand for way too long. <laughs> he's super awkward, and he's Thanks everything I aspire to be uh, when I grow up. So they're at this airport. The airport is evacuated. Steve tells everybody really dramatically to suit up. And they all put on their suits and go out on walking. Um Iron Man, War Machine Vision, Black Widow, Black Panther, and a newly suited Spider-Man confront, uh, not by name, but the Secret Avengers. Um, They try to convince them to surrender, and we get here one of the most critically acclaimed fight scenes, I think, in the MCU. I think this is probably everyone's, was everyone's favorite up until the portal scene in Endgame. Up until that point, I think this could have been a lot of people's favorite fight scene in the MCU. Now, while a lot of people really like this movie, Robbie, you still uh, you still got some some things you don't necessarily like about it. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I'll start with it's actually still, it is it was not and is still not my favorite MCU fight scene. So I think that's interesting. Um, it's, it's good. So everything I'm about to say is going to preface with I like this movie. My ratings and my ranking will bear out I like this movie. And honestly, having just rewatched it, I like it more than I remember. Um, but my memory of this film when it came out was disappointment. And and you can be disappointed by something that's still good. Like, I still liked it. I just thought there was this chance for this to be the best MCU movie. It was, it was based on really good source material. They had set up the characters to be... A, a, a great take on that source material. They got Spider-Man in it, which I didn't expect. And so I thought this can be great. And it ended up just being for really a lot of reasons we'd already talked about. So I don't need to flesh them out. I just felt like it was disappointing. And, and just in that this should have been better and this could have been better. And a lot of that though, I think is just the, the scale is um, disappointing. There's not, there's not a grand scale to what should be, a war between superpowered humans. Um, and it, I just, it, it ends up not being that great. Like, okay, this, this airport fight is a cool fight scene, but it's not a war. It's just a fight at an airport. That's not really that much happens in it. Um, and it's mostly just trying to, to push people out of the way to get to a ship. There's not a deep, um, push for like like in the comic there's not a a a deep divide in you know uh, the this um sort of the ideals of where we're going and, and you know the 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 libertarianism versus the authoritarianism that's not really explored that much in the film i, I think 
think it's an interesting concept that could have been explored more and it's not and then it doesn't really show up in the fight very much the fight is more you know i'm trying to protect you so i gotta bring you in and nope i'm gonna try and go save the world but you don't care and also not don't really have to save the world because he's just gonna shoot them all in the head anyway um and i just and then you bring in spider-man and then spider-man's not a big part of this film where, where peter parker was a huge part and his character arc was a huge part of the comic and i felt like that could have been great he really just shows up for a fight and it was really just, Hey, look, we got Spider-Man guys and he's great in it. Spider-Man is great in it, but I felt like really, and I understand why, but I felt like really underutilized Zemo, I think is an interesting and compelling character. He's obviously a great schemer. He's great at, at putting this whole master plan together. And then his master plan just ends up being having two friends fight. And that that's, it's a good fight, but I just don't think the, the scale is huge and this this is the movie that shouldn't have been ant-man this is the movie that shouldn't have been you know a small a smaller story this is the movie that should have been a big epic um powerful event like one of the avengers movies should have been um and even even when it gets to the stakes of of like death we have in this scene we're talking about right now we have war machine get hit and fall in what should have been a death scene and I love War Machine. I'm actually kind of happy he didn't die. And he had some great moments in um, uh, Endgame. But it, it felt like that scene just kind of removed the stakes of, well, they're not even going to kill people. They're not even going to kill the characters that they could kill off. So no one's dying in this. You don't have to worry about that. And so it just felt like it was a really small scale idea that could have been made much bigger and explored a lot more. And all of that is me saying, I still like it. But I think there was the chance for me to like this more than anything else instead of it just being another Marvel movie I liked. I feel like it affects you in that way because you read the source material. Yes, I agree. And most of us didn't. And I guess I feel like it being called Civil War, it didn't need to be some grand scale of an actual war. It just, Civil War to me meant the Avengers were fighting within themselves um and i don't know i i thought the conflict was was enough that they had and and i think the stakes were high in that it completely broke up the avengers like the beatles and um does that mean Bucky is Yoko Ono? But did it really? Uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did it really break them up? Like, okay, think about it. Iron Captain America is out, um, but Hulk is out for unrelated reasons. Thor has nothing to do with this. Um, but those aren't the Avengers anymore. But they're the like Avengers splintered. were right. The Avengers had turned into a different team at this point. They're mm-hmm. like all spread out. You know, we don't see them again until Infinity War. But they're all. Sp- you know, spread out because of, you know, a bunch of them getting tossed in jail. And then, you know, two of them ended up going on house arrest. And then Wanda escaped and, you know, is who knows where with Vision. And then Sam escaped and is with Cap. And, like, everyone is broken up. They're not a team. But three don't see them again as a team for a long time. But three of the ones that are in jail haven't at any point been part of that team. They could have been. But at this point, the ones that are in jail are Falcon that hasn't done any Avenger stuff, um, Wanda that hasn't done any, any Avenger stuff until the end of Ultron and in this movie, uh, and Ant-Man, who is not an Avenger at this point. And it, it, it's, 
I felt like it didn't really actually affect other than Iron Man and Tony and their conflict is fantastic in this and I will absolutely acknowledge that the final fight in this movie absolutely I think gets to the emotional core of Civil War but for the most part it feels like it mostly breaks up the Avengers that haven't actually done much avenging yet well see for me I mean I I, I agree with with her on this and that the um you know the, the the Avengers because we the new Avengers team at the end of uh, of Ultron is Wanda Falcon Rhodey Vision Cap and and Nat and when we see them again in Infinity War the Steve Nat Wanda and Sam are all fugitives like they're hiding they're operating secretly. You know, avoiding the governments because they have broken the accords. You have your official Avengers, who are Tony and Rhodey and Vision, I guess, and that and that's it. That's that's scare. That's that's barely a team. That so so it really does, and and it and even just yeah. So you do have these two superhero teams that still exist, but the important thing is that the Avengers as a cohesive idea doesn't exist anymore. It has been, it's been torn apart by, by the events of this film. So I think that it does. Yeah. No one, no one dies. Uh, and I remember even a lot of people thinking that Steve was going to die because he died in the comics in civil war. And it's like, well, he came back later. So let's just skip that because having, having anyone die, I think would have overshadowed what the movie was trying to be about. And the filmmakers said, and I, and I think I agree with this, is that they couldn't have killed Rhodey off because then the movie would have had to have been about that when it was supposed to be really about Steve and Tony who have a very close relationship. Yeah, they've they've come into, into conflict a lot over the years that they've known each other, but there is a deep, true friendship there and a trust there. And what happens when that trust is completely broken? And if that had happened, if Rhodey had died, especially if he had died by quote-unquote friendly fire, because Vision was on Team Iron Man as well, then all of a sudden that changes, not only does it change how the characters react, but also changes how we as, as viewers react. Now it's like, oh my gosh, Vision killed Rhodey. And that becomes what we take away from this movie and not the the Civil War. I mean, because this wasn't Avengers Civil War. It was Captain America Civil War, and it was about Captain America and Iron Man. It wasn't even so much about their teams. It was about the two of them. So, and I, I agree with that last point, and I think that's part of where it came from. I I think I would have liked, and and this is this is asking a lot, but I think I would have loved a separate Captain America movie so that it didn't, this did, Civil War didn't have, putting Civil War in the MCU didn't have to be a Captain America movie. It could have been an Avengers movie. And I think that would have allowed it to be, because I think you're right. I think a lot of why it is the smaller, um, smaller scale than I was hoping it was going to be when it was announced is because it's a Captain America movie. It is not an Avengers movie. It's not Spider-Man. It's not Iron Man, even though they have, Iron Man has a big role in it. It's a Captain America movie. And so I think you're right about that. Um, that doesn't quell my disappointment. It does make me understand where it came from and why I'm disappointed. Um, and and I, I'm going to absolutely say that disappointment has gone away over the years. I am, or I, I enjoy this movie more and more over time. Um, and I want to real quickly, since I feel like I have been completely negative about a movie that I'm going to give a very high score to, talk about some of the stuff that I think is really good 
at the point that we're in right now because this movie has some great stuff it's got some of the best lines um this fight scene has so much good stuff going on the characters are all good in this i i think actually the least interesting characters in this they have interesting arcs but in terms of their lines and their arc and are um and in some of their moments are actually steve rogers and tony stark and it's really just because they've been better before this they're not bad in this movie but vision is great and wanda is great and even in, in limited time clint barton is great and scott lang is amazing in this and there's this movie has such great some of the best lines in the mcu without being like ragnarok's or or guardian of the galaxy comedy it just has some, some wonderful lines um that i love having a fresh hero in black panther um it's so cool finally seeing spider-man swinging around it's so cool having spider-man swinging around and also not being able to shut his mouth um mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just and also something that really hit me is the retrospective part of this this movie does feel all the character arcs in this movie do feel more important now that we've had endgame and infinity war and that is also part of what makes me appreciate this movie more. Again, the movie I had in my head, I still wish had been made, but I do like this more with time. And there is a lot of good in this movie and I enjoyed rewatching it. Yeah. I think it's just the realities of making a series of films versus making a series of comic books is that eventually your actors, their contracts end and they had to decide, do we make an Avengers movie that is civil war and then wait a few more years and, do this infinity war and end game that we're building up to. Right. Or right. is there a way to make a civil war story work in one of our individual heroes series so that we can still have that have happened and, and pay that off emotionally in the end of our infinity saga. And I, and I think that that's where the business realities get into it yeah. where, you know, your comic book characters, they don't age, they don't retire. They don't say, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> they, you just, keep writing, keep drawing, and they're there. Uh, so so I think that this was a good compromise to to get this Civil War story out there. I think, Robbie, you need to divorce yourself from the source material and you'll feel a lot better about this. So, but, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to see something adapted on screen. Like, I don't think it's, it's wrong to think, this thing's cool, I would like to see it. I'm not saying it's a bad movie because it's not the source material. I'm saying I am personally disappointed because I wanted to see, and I didn't want to see a perfect recreation. I just wanted to see the massive event of Civil War on screen. I understand that too, just from a as a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> yeah, I was about to bring um, Harry Potter fans into this if you didn't yeah, do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so many things about that move, those movies that I despise, like that I just was so, especially at the time of release, was so angry that they took out. And like, I understand they couldn't have kept everything in, um, but I just remember being so, especially the fifth movie and how short it, it was the shortest one in the series you know but the longest book oh and really they cut so much out mm -hmm. yes um that infuriated me and there was so much i would have liked to see that they cut out so like i get it i understand mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and i'm like i'm really not infuriated i promise i just there yeah. was a movie in my head that i was excited about that didn't happen and that's disappointing and it's entirely disappointing to me personally i am not objectively calling civil war a failure I am just talking about there was I got I got hyped 
because I thought, wow, they're going to adapt this on screen. And yeah, sure, they'll they'll adapt it. And I'm fine with adapting it heavily. But this is going to be a big, epic fight. There's going to be Spider-Man is going to have this cool arc where he doesn't know which side he's supposed to be on. Like, I was just excited about all this stuff. And then it's an airport fight. A really good airport fight, but an airport fight. Agree to disagree. No, I will not. <laughs> You're not going to agree that you disagree with me? Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree that we disagree. <laughs> so we get this large action sequence, the airport scene. We get all kinds of fighting. We've already talked about Spider-Man having his quips and fighting. Um, he fights the Winter Soldier as well as Falcon. We've got um, a bunch of people kind of here and there everywhere all over the place fighting each other. And then Scott Lang goes from being Ant-Man to being Giant-Man and um, grows in size and he's awesome and he... I think I'm going to tear himself in half? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I do this all the time. Once. In a lab. And and I passed out. (laughs) Tiny tiny guy is huge now. (laughs) I'm sorry, even even to devoid the context of seeing Ant Man with everyone, it is so funny seeing Paul Rudd with all of these yes. superhero yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> he's just when he so first great. comes out of the van, he's like, Oh what time zone is this? I know you're <laughs> It's like, oh, you're so out of place, but it's perfect how out of place he is. Yeah, it's so great. It's so great to his character and kind of like how we talked about in the Ant Man episode about how Ant Man doesn't really kind of fit in the MCU it's great to then literally just shove him in with all these other characters and show how he doesn't Mm -hmm. fit because he's like he feels so out of place and awkward and that's exactly how we would be I know that's how I would be and they Um, all underestimate him too which is great when he he does get a couple blows in Mm -hmm. on Black Widow which Mm -hmm. is not easy and they, and they don't stop underestimating him like when he's like you know Hank Pym always told me you can never trust the Stark he's who? like who are you yeah. <laughs> you know he just wanted to sound important <laughs> right I know Hank Pym uh-huh. <laughs> so Rogers convinces Romanov to help him escape on the Quinjet and she stuns T'Challa to allow it Rhodes chases the Quinjet pursued by Wilson um, Vision attempts to shoot down Wilson, but he hits Rhodes instead, knocking him out of the air um, and crashing into the ground. He survives, but he is paralyzed and rightfully so, continuing to anger Tony Stark. Um, everybody else except for Bucky and Steve from their side is arrested um, and they are sent off to the raft while Romanoff yeah. goes into exile. She's out. She's out of here. Um, Stark discovers evidence of Barnes' innocence. He finds out that um, Zima was the one kind of controlling everything all along. He lost his family in Sokovia. Um, So he meets with Wilson and secretly goes to help Rogers, followed by T'Challa. That's where we get one of my favorite Iron Man putting on the suit scenes of him just like slowly falling back into the the helicopter. I think Mm -hmm. that's really cool. So we're in a secret base in Siberia. Stark meets with Rogers and Barnes. And the three confront Zemo. They're like, oh, don't release these soldiers. We haven't even talked about the other Winter Soldiers yet, but they were supposedly other Winter Soldiers. (laughs) Doesn't matter, because he killed them all. Um, (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Anyway, (laughs) see, you all agree with me now. Keep going. (laughs) And he plays a video of the previously seen footage of Barnes' 1991 car assault. Mission report, December 16th, 1991. December, okay, so it was a few months after I was born. Um... It is shown that the car, the driver of the car was Howard Stark, who was killed very violently, by yes. the way. Um, his wife isn't killed so violently, but he is killed 
very violently. Yes. He gets some real strong arm, like fist to his face, mm-hmm. and it is very, uh, it's very and it, visceral and very. What's really sad is he recognizes him before it happens. He he looks at him and goes, "Sergeant Barnes." Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then he chokes the life out of Tony Stark's mom, which is also we don't get to see that one, so that mm-hmm. one's not as bad, even though it sounds really bad. We don't have to see it, so uh-huh. it doesn't feel as bad. Um, I mean, obviously, although, Tony's a little upset about. Although this. I'll say oh, it ahead. ends up being made bad because instead of showing that, they just show the Winter Soldier just staring off into space while he chokes her to death, and it's just mm-hmm. like like that's maybe less grisly, but it's still disturbing. Yes, it's, it's brutal in Easily a different way. Easily the most disturbing deaths yes. we've seen in the mm-hmm. MCU. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to watch. Um, so clearly, Tony's a little upset about this. And so he tries to kill Barnes um, and Rogers defends him. And we get this, this last big fight scene in the movie, which I think is a very cool fight yeah. scene, specifically the, the section where they're passing the shield in between mm-hmm. each other is just so cool. And everyone thought that that was like a nod to Bucky eventually becoming mm-hmm. Captain America, which we now know is not the case. I mean, he might one day become or Captain America. Yeah you know, in the future, but we don't know that. Um, we get the, the really tough line where he tells him, he tells Tony that he's my friend and Tony's like, so was I. And man, that, that one hurts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause, cause now he feels betrayed by Steve because Steve found out in winter soldier that Hydra had killed the Starks. He probably assumed that it was Bucky. But he also, since he didn't have 100% confirmation, sometimes that's enough for you to tell yourself, well, then maybe it wasn't him. Right. And you can go on living your life mm-hmm. like that. Well, what boggles my mind and shocks me is, I guess Steve basically lies to Tony's face for a second because Tony says, did you know about it? And Steve says, I didn't know it was him. And Tony was like, stop messing with me, basically. Like, yeah did you know? And then Steve takes a beat and then he says, yes. So he, and that's shocking because Steve is so good and perfect and honest and true. And, you know, Bucky's his blind for a second spot. there. He lied to Tony to his face at, that he knew that Bucky killed his parents. And, and I think though that it's, he was lying to himself too. And this is him coming to grips with, I did know I didn't want to believe it. I think it's one of those. It's not a lie. If you don't think you're lying moments, maybe that's just me not wanting to believe it's that weird Steve because Rogers I don't, lie. I don't read it that way. The way that he delivers the line, the look on his face, like to me, it comes off like he flat out. He knew it wasn't just, Oh, I'm denying it to myself that I, I knew it was probably him. Like, I think it sounds like he definitely knew about it and kept it to himself. Hmm. Tough look for our boy Steve. Um, So we get a shot of Iron Man shooting at Cap Shield, which is uh, essentially straight from the last issue of the comic, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of moments in this fight scene where you think one of them is going to go too far. Yep. Where you think one of them is going to like kill the other person like you you think that there's going to be a death in this like there are certain points where one of like um where 
Winter Soldier, Bucky has Iron Man pinned up against the wall and he's squeezing the the arc reactor. There's a, the, the part where Steve is on top of Tony and he's bashing his skull in over and over again. There's a lot of really tough things and it's it's not a it's not super easy to watch. And Chris, I know you have some feelings about this, about this scene in general and how it's not necessarily the easiest watch because there's a, there are good people involved in this and it's tough to watch them kind of be at each other's throats like this. Yeah. And, and I want to kind of contrast this with the airport scene. Um, Cause most superhero movies, they end with the giant, you know, CGI final battle. And a lot of times those are a lot of fun to watch. We get that, fun to watch big battle at the end of act two in this movie. And it's great. It's full of great character moments, uh, interactions between characters that we don't normally get to see interact or that we have never seen interact. And, uh, you know, it, it is fun. And it's also, it is not an, ang- yeah, there, there is some animosity there, but they're not, it's not so much angry. It's like one side wants something. The other side is like, we have to stop you. And that's what the fight has. So it actually lets you enjoy it a little more. And I think that's also part of the reason why no one dies in it. It's, it is personal, but it is not venomous. And then you get this one. Uh, the, it ends with, it's just a fight between three, three, three characters that we have known across multiple movies. Two, all of them are good guys. And two of them in particular, we've watched across multiple solo movies and team up movies, and we've seen their friendship develop. And it is a really intense fight. It is very personal. It's hard to watch. I remember they showed bits of it in some of the trailers before, uh, you know, before the movie came out. I remember thinking, oh, gosh, this movie is going to like destroy me. And, and it is actually still really, you know, it, it is. I'm trying to find another way to say hard to watch because I feel like I've said that a hundred times. Difficult to view. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, Uncomfortable to envisage. (laughs) Uh, No, but but it is... It's the first time I could think of where I'm watching a comic book movie fight and it's like, I don't want anyone to win this fight because you're afraid. You're, you know, you're just sitting there going, stop it. Stop fighting. I hate it when you fight. And it, hate it's... it when mom and dad fight. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're the two leaders of the Avengers, really. They're the two biggest heroes in it uh, at this point. And watching, watching this friendship just be seemingly irreparably damaged and torn apart is, it is, it is gut-wrenching. And, Getting back to to my comparing this to the source material, I actually think they do that better in the film than they do in the comic. In the comic, Tony ends up just being such an asshat that when Captain America is beating him up, I'm wanting him to end it. Like, I'm ready for mm-hmm. Captain America to finally put Tony Stark out of his drunk misery. And... It's just the characterization there is you're convinced by Tony's characterization, but it doesn't feel redeeming in any way. Whereas in this, I am cringing when the the shield goes flying at the arc reactor, even though I absolutely know how the movie ends. And I know that he's not going to, you know, actually kill Tony. But I, I'm completely with you. The, it's, it's visceral and it's intense. And I remember my wife in the theater just cringing the whole time. Um, like, like I, I, I can think of two times my wife was cringing in theaters and one of them was when Han Solo started taking Kylo Ren's lightsaber 
And this was the same kind of cringing in this film. Um, and uh, you're right. It's, it's visceral and it's hard to watch. And they're both still convincing heroes. And you don't want this to happen. And sure, Tony Stark is still kind of an asshat in the MCU, but not the same level of asshat. And we already had a nice yeah, fight yeah. scene, a long airport fight scene. The airport fight scene is just Tony Stark getting kicked around a few times. And it's hilarious because of that. But you feel like that's kind mm -hmm. of where he got his medicine. You don't want his medicine to be, you know someone who's become his friend absolutely kicking the shit out of him. And that's what happens here. And it's unpleasant. And, and it's, but it's unpleasant in a good way. Um, I know Martin Scorsese disagrees with me on this, but um, it, it's, it's powerful for, for lack of better word. Yeah. We then get another heart wrenching scene of, uh, Steve and Tony and Tony telling Steve that he that the, the shield isn't his that his dad made the shield and that it doesn't you know he doesn't deserve it and so Steve leaves the shield takes Bucky and they kind of go off um, we then get a, a view on another part of this whole thing with um, T'Challa confronting Zemo and they sort of um, Zemo expresses you know satisfaction he's breaking up the adventures and T'Challa shows a, a change of heart um, due to too much blood having been shed. Zemo attempts to kill himself, and T'Challa kind of stops it. Look, no one likes Black Panther more than me. I have said it many times on this show that I think Black Panther is a phenomenal movie. It is my favorite of the MCU. And I think in Black Panther, they took such good care of T'Challa and his character, and they, they gave him this wonderful arc. And I think he was mishandled in this movie. To me, he seems one-dimensional. He doesn't have the sort of complexity that he does in, in Black Panther. And I think moving forward, Black Panther, because of how much care was taken in the character, the other directors understood how to handle Black Panther. And so moving forward in Infinity War, he was handled more like he is in Black Panther. But in this movie, he's very kind of one note and isn't, um, he isn't up to the standard. He isn't up to what I think, what, what makes him great in my opinion. I agree. Oh. I, I think he is lacking that kind of warmth that he has in yep. Black Panther. And... I'm sure someone could make an argument of, well, he didn't have enough to do in this movie and they were focusing on other things and da 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 da. But like, I think we've now seen many movies in the MCU where there are characters with bit parts, you know, just small parts, but you walk away loving them. Like somehow they get so well established just from small introductions or just a couple scenes, you know, a handful of scenes. And he didn't get that treatment like we did not walk away going oh man i want to see that guy's movie so i i agree with you on that that is so i walked away going wow i really want to watch that guy's movie yeah that's uh. fascinating to me because the single strongest feeling i have from civil war like the strongest thing i remember is oh my god black panther is way too far away like like that feeling of disappointment i had from this movie that i talked about that was outshone by how much i wanted to watch black panther after seeing this movie yeah, but then you didn't get the Black Panther you wanted to see. Eh, honestly, and we'll talk about Black Panther. I didn't actually leave Black Panther disappointed. I did enjoy Black Panther. Um, and I, I, to me, this Black Panther is not actually at odds with 
the Black Panther from Black Panther. It, like they are, I don't have problem seeing them as the same character. And I did actually really like T'Challa in this film. He, I did end up loving him, and I did end up watching more. And he, to me, was such a great. It was so cool just getting to see, like, okay, yes, Spider-Man was there, and I was happy Spider-Man was there, but I've had Spider-Man movies. Getting another fresh hero was really exciting to me, and I really liked the way he was handled, and everything he did was cool. And I, I, I just felt compelled and interested by the character and was really excited to see his film after this was over. I think, when I think about what I like about Black Panther, about that movie, it is... A lot of it has to do with he is not just a superhero. He is a like a real person and sort of the issues that he's dealing with and sort of the things I, I think I can relate. And I don't think he is given that same reverence in, in Civil War. I don't. Th- I think he is treated as another comic book character. And so he fits in with all the other comic book characters around him. But in Black Panther, he is given such extra special care to really sort of kind of to, to give his character uh, so much more dimension. Whereas here, it is tough to do that. One, because he doesn't get a, a lot of screen time to, to flesh that out. And two, he just is always, he, he's always sort of bloodthirsty in this movie up until the very end where he kind of changes his mind. And I think his character is more than that. And he also, I kind of have a problem with him just being the like, the the, the king from Wakanda and not, himself i don't know it it, like i i understand sort of diplomacy and all of that but there is a certain in black panther there is a part where him and shuri like he like goes to like do the wakanda forever and she's like don't do that to me and then they like high five and then do their own like fun like like he's a real person he's not this like stoic king like guy he's a he's a real human being that lives in our world and i think that's why i find him so relatable which is why i don't like him in this movie i don't know i guess i just don't find kings of rich countries relatable regardless of how they greet their sisters and maybe that's just me i thought he was a king of a hermit country a really rich hermit country we don't know that yet (laughs) i knew that Uh, (laughs) yes i i can i i think he's great in this movie I, i don't think it's at odds he the I know you kind of wrote off this argument, Angela, but it wasn't his movie, so <laughs> they couldn't spend an inordinate amount of time. It wasn't Spider-Man's movie. And they didn't spend that much time with him. Yeah, either. but you love Spider-Man's not my MVP. I loved, I loved Black Panther instantly, too. But I'm saying, like... Yeah, yeah so but, did I. <laughs> let me talk. Uh, is that um, this... I mean, his entire, going back to what I said at the beginning of this episode, was that his entire character arc is shaded by the fact that his father was just murdered. And as hard as that is for anyone to go through, I would imagine, throw that onto that now he's being thrown into the role of king. Yeah, he's not officially the king yet, but he knows that's coming. Because there hasn't even been, you know, I think like when you get to Black Panther, there hasn't been a challenge on challenge day in however many generations. So he's going to be the king. He knows he would win if there was a challenge. And if there weren't, then he's going to be the king. So he's trying to process his grief while dealing with the fact that he is now going to be the king. We established in the first scene that diplomacy is not his thing, which is why he's kind of like, um, you know, uptight around people at the beginning we and i think we get glimpses of the fun 
more warm version of him. Like, like I, mostly between him and, and Romanov, like they seem to have a, have a pretty good relationship. Like when, when uh, that one Dora Milaje comes up and goes, move or you will be moved. And he just kind of comes up and goes, as entertaining as that would be. Yeah. And yeah, you know, so, so yeah, he's, he's driven by anger and grief. And the, his last scene is him coming to terms with that and realizing that he can't let it consume him anymore. And that's where we leave him for the beginning of Black Panther, where he's now begun to in a more healthy way process the grief of losing his father and being thrust into the role of king of 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 wakanda and i think that it sets up where he is in black panther pretty well and it left me very excited to see that i think this is just a scenario where it's you how you view it is it's subjective just oh sure clearly, yeah. like me and eduardo did not feel any kind of relatability to this guy or didn't feel any kind of feelings towards him Mm -hmm. um and clearly he something about him clicked for you guys you know and fortunately we got that those feelings then in black panther so i'm glad that happened but and I, i will say i didn't find him relatable like i do not relate to kings um whose fathers died and so they fight people in impenetrable cat suits like i'm not i don't find his character relatable in this it's just i'm compelled when he's on screen he's well acted he's interesting i enjoy watching him that's what i enjoyed well i don't think your status in the world is no no no. i was just making a joke i get it i it's... Oh. okay <laughs> no, no no i think no <laughs> but i think angela touched on something that we didn't get her we didn't give her a chance to touch on and it's the the contrast here we have two brand new characters to the mcu one of them is Black Panther and one of them is Spider-Man. Granted, we did know some of Spider-Man before. Obviously, Spider-Man is, you know, I would say he's a more popular character, especially at the time. But from the second Spider-Man is on screen, you know what he's about. You understand him. He is a, a relatable character and you kind of get everything about him. The only thing you really get about Black Panther in this movie is that he is upset that his father died. Which is like fine, but that is as much character development and character that is as much character that we get from him. That's yeah, that's about it. He's, it's very one note for me, right? Well, you also get yeah. that he doesn't care about Clint. <laughs> <laughs> you also get that he doesn't. You know. Surely you found that relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite parts of this movie were not caring about Clint and then Iron or. Captain America beating up Iron Man. Those are my favorite parts of this movie. <laughs> and the lack of helicarriers. <laughs> wait, one shot. Wait, of I thought of more disappointment. Like, That's what I like. <laughs> um, uh, can I? If you have more to say about T'Challa, no, no, go ahead. I, I wanted to bring up Spider-Man really quickly. Yeah, talking about his first scene. Uh, I, I just get. I didn't really. If I have a good place to bring this up, but when he does his little not quite, but definitely is great power with great responsibility speech. What he says, that is basically Steve's whole ethos. Yes. And I feel like you see that. And and, and that's just something that I just think we we should note is that philosophically he would have been team cap. And you almost see that in Tony's face when he says it, but he still gets him in because he's Tony Stark. And he's impressing this fifteen-year-old. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a nod to the comic book where to- or Spider-Man is originally on the side of, you know, signing the the registration mm-hmm. act, and then he moves over to Captain. And that's side. what I wanted to see. I wanted to see Peter Parker realize that no, no, 
I this is this is wrong and I want to be with Captain America like that's what I wanted to see and yeah I really get that like this movie was well on its way to being made and then Peter Parker was put in it like okay I get it but I that that is the arc I wanted to see for literally yeah literally my favorite character in fiction um yeah and also now, I don't know how much of this was BS by the way but the screenwriter said that they wrote it with him in it <laughs> And said hmm. that they just had faith that a deal would work out, and that if it didn't, they were going to have to scramble it, to figure out what. It just doesn't make feel it that way, out. man. I can't. I really wish we would have gotten the. Um, I was going to say Blue Beetle, but that's DC. I got to <laughs> think of another uh, random insect superhero. <laughs> um, I'm kind of glad though that Spider-Man in this movie is—he's just a kid, and he's treated that way, just a kid. Like, yeah, Tony brings him in to like have you know one more guy on his side basically but then once peter's not knocked out you know like he's done tony mm-hmm. says like oh you're done you're finished yeah. sending you home now you know he wants um, him for the web because it's a non-lethal it's way to too, stop them it's too like everything is just too peter is like way in over his head on this like mm-hmm. i don't think he understands anything that's going on you know why he's probably like why am i in germany why is this happening you know and mm-hmm his only motivation is I want to impress Tony Stark. And I'm kind of okay with that because he's just a kid. Like, I think these issues are too big for him for now. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I guess I, cause, cause comic book Peter in the civil war story was adult. Right. Spider-Man he's an, he's an adult. Spider-Man he's a high school, a he's a high school science teacher. He's, um, yeah. I don't know. I just, Peter is so smart and so powerful. I have trouble thinking. I have trouble enjoying a Peter where thing where he's things are over his head and he doesn't just like, and that he allows people to say things are over his head. Um, that's not, and and this this Peter in this movie is actually really good. So I, I feel like I'm again being negative about things that I actually like. But I, I do think I do think a Peter Parker characterization that I buy into doesn't buy into this is over my head and I'm out. I guess I just feel like when you're 15, no amount of, you know, like, doesn't matter how smart you are, you're 15. Sure, but like, I mean, I guess part of why I like Peter Parker is 15-year-old Peter Parker went into an underwater base and beat a guy with... Uh, you know, giant metal tentacles, and then when the base fell on him, he lifted it on his own strength and got out to save his aunt. And I, I, I just part of why I like Peter Parker is he's more heroic than he has any right to be. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. it's why your really... husband likes uh, likes uh, uh, Captain America. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the. Because he's not involved in the main conflict, he's just involved in the superhero fight, the fun superhero fight. Mm-hmm. We never get a chance to see that honorable, heroic part of him. Right. We get to see the cool swinging around, right. making jokes and spinning webs part of him, which is also which is also good. Yes, a, yes. Which was a an absolute pleasure to see. Yes. And maybe he wasn't given a chance to have an opinion on all this because maybe tony intentionally left him in the dark oh i agree with that i absolutely agree with that it so even if peter could have had an opinion about all this or you know like 
he wasn't given that opportunity because I think Tony was just like, come with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even geniuses can get starstruck. I, com- I completely, I don't think that in film it doesn't make sense. In in film it absolutely makes sense. It's just the arc where, where Peter realizes I'm on the wrong side. I'm going to go fight for, you know, freedom. Um, and even, mm-hmm. I didn't even necessarily need go fight. Like just that realization from Peter Parker um, I, I is something that I, I really wanted to see. And it's just another one of my disappointments since we're bringing it up. Mm. And also, since you brought up great power and responsibility, I need the MCU to actually say that instead of keep having their their uh, cute little wink, wink, nod, nod. Remember that line that's so campy and we're not going to say it? That line's really important. Well, I, th- I feel like they're Avengers assembling. Yeah, I think you're probably right. They better be. They're, they're building up to it. And, be- and because we unfortunately had the real world of... We had two Spider-Man series in the recent past where it was said a lot. So they're trying very specifically to not... Wait, two? Because there was the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. What other Spider-Man has there been? Oh, Oh, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. There we go. But that was after this. (laughs) So we get the aftermath at this point. Stark uh, provided... Provides Rhodes with the exoskeleton legs to allow him to walk. Roger sends Stark a letter explaining his regret over their parting. Are then breaks his compatriots. <laughs> he this then time breaks I was his a FedEx uh, delivery man. <laughs> Are you Tony Stank? <laughs> um, he then breaks his compa- uh, compatriots compatriots out of the raft. Um, and then we get the credits. Barnes goes back into crowd sleep in Wakanda in one of the post credit scenes, and T'Challa tells Rogers that he'll be protected. And then we get another scene of Peter Parker messing with the new Stark manufactured web shooters with a projected Spider-Man logo. The spider signal. Yes. Which I didn't know was a real thing. <laughs> Wait, I thought really? it was made up for the ride at Universal. Oh, and eventually, oh, no way. eventually the comic start lampshading how stupid it was, and he makes fun of it. Like, okay. like older Peter Parker <laughs> makes fun of the spider symbol. Because, cause like, because it, it's the first thing you see on the Spider-Man ride at Universal, mm-hmm. and J. Jonah Jameson goes, "The spider signal. That means Spider-Man's nearby, and that means headlines." No, well, and when it popped up on every time I watch this movie, I see that my brain goes, "The spider <laughs> signal." <laughs> so I loved that because when I was a kid, the Spider-Man comics I read were most of it the '60s, and in the '60s, he uses the spider signal constantly just to mess with J. Jonah Jameson. So, like, that's a perfect, perfect moment in the mm-hmm. ride. And what is, by the way. A, a top three ride in Central Florida for the next couple weeks. Agreed. In four weeks, oh. it won't be anymore. But oh dang! <laughs> well, someone's <laughs> dropping some insider knowledge here. I know one of them, but what's the other one? Top three. Fine, yeah. I'll put it on this podcast: Haunted Mansion and Tower Terror. Tower Terror. Okay. okay. Tower of Terror. I, I knew That's mansion. what I was. Right. <laughs> what about Hagrid's? Haven't ridden it. What about Flight of Passage? Um, my opinions on Flight of Passage will not be recorded. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'd put Spider-Man ahead of Tower of Terror. I love Tower of Terror. I might put and, it ahead of Tower of Terror, too. Wow, this podcast is in your direction. I'm hoping that in the next <laughs> month or two, it becomes not the last truly great ride that Disney has built. <laughs> so. so, let's get into our MVPs. Yeah. MVPs for this well, movie, so for nice. me... It's going to be Scott Lang, my boy Ant-Man. Anytime he's on screen, he steals the show, and I just love him. 
And it would be Black Panther if they treated him correctly. I like, by the way, so before I go on mine, let me tell everyone that when I was working on these notes, I just cut and paste Eduardo Scott Lang from the last episode, and then he never bothered to correct me. So (laughs) (laughs) I knew where we were going with this. Um, We already talked about it. Like, mine's Black Panther. And I will say, actually, I think this was the hardest MVP of any film, including Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I went in assuming Black Panther, rewatching it. I didn't change my mind, but... There were points I thought Vision. There were points I thought Wanda. There were points I thought um, pretty much everyone. I Weirdly, I never thought Captain America or Iron Man. Um, but yeah, I think it's Black Panther. And a lot of it is just, it was cool seeing a fresh superhero. What about you, Chris? Agree with me. I, I also said T'Challa yes. for all the reasons that we've just discussed. Um, I will say, though, that it was very difficult. And something that impressed me about this movie, even the first time I saw it, yeah, I was, I was you know, blinded by a lot of the cool fight stuff but one of the things that i really truly genuinely enjoyed about it and still do to this day and what gave me a lot of confidence going into infinity war and endgame that this team of directors and writers could pull that that movie off was that they managed to in a captain america movie that still feels very much like a captain america movie the plot is a captain america plot featuring the avengers because the avengers are part of captain america's life but all these characters have an arc some of them it's a very small arc some of them it's a very large mm-hmm. arc but every single character feels real and has some sort of story that is told over the course of the movie mm-hmm. uh wanda and vision being a great example of that um you know I, I i but i think that every character gets a good point a to point b they feel like they belong in the movie and have have a reason to be there and that the movie affects them in some way angela that was a really long way for you to say i picked t'challa <laughs> i picked t'challa but it was hard because of all those things he just needed to back me but, up yeah uh, um forever i picked spider-man um because this is where i don't really at least in this instance i'm not picking an mvp based on who you know carried the movie it's just who brought me the most joy on screen i guess you know like when when from the instant he shows up you're you've just got this big smile on your face and it's all the scenes with him are such a great respite from all the fighting and all the (laughs) darkness of everyone's guilt you know, um, and Spider-Man is just so entertaining and just such a, a bright spot in the movie. So that's my boy. Yeah, can I'll agree. I just to comment on that real quick is that, again, it was kind of, yeah, I know I talk a lot. Um, <laughs> the, just that we, again, since we had... There was obviously a little bit of trepidation that, oh, God, they're rebooting Spider-Man again. Because even when they made the Amazing Spider-Man movies, it was like, this is way too soon for a reboot. And then rebooting it again. Uh, But, oh, my gosh. Like, as soon as Tom Holland showed up on screen, you're like, oh, hang on. This is Mm Spider-Man. This is Peter Parker. I agree. And it was like, all worries dissolved. Like, what perfect, perfect casting. Yeah, I'll say... About five minutes after I left Amazing Spider-Man, I was ready for Spider-Man to be rebooted, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I'd love to talk about that sometime. Maybe in the homecoming episode. Oh, Peaches likes it. Oh, then we really have to talk yeah, about Peaches loves episode. Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. We could do an on every other Spider-Man episode. Yeah. <laughs> I like the first Amazing Spider-Man. Huh. I don't like the second one, but I like the first one. There are parts of them I like. Here's the thing is that I actually like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I just don't like him as Peter Parker. Agreed. Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, was really good, and that is the end of the things I have to say. Mm. <laughs> it's a good thing the movie wasn't called Peter Parker. So how does this movie fit into the MCU? Oh. The ramifications are mostly not felt in any way afterwards. So how does this movie fit inside the MCU? <laughs> the ramifications are felt very strongly <laughs> from here figure. on out. <laughs> Convince me. All right. Well, I think the uh, events of Ant-Man and the Wasp are very much contingent on Scott Lang being under house arrest and being dragged into the world of superheroing again one day before his house arrest is supposed to be done. Um we have the Avengers split through all of Infinity War. We don't get the Captain America Iron Man resolution until Endgame. Like, they dragged it out for a couple of years. Now, in the future, when we show our, our, our kids this and everything, you know, they're only going to have to wait however many hours between movies, depending on mm-hmm. how much. They're not going to have to have lived with it for mm-hmm. years of being like, you know, when, when Tony and Steve finally got back together again in Endgame, like... It felt like we'd been waiting a very long time for it. So I I feel like it was, you know, pretty consequential. It introduced Spider-Man. It introduced T'Challa. Uh, it, it it did a lot that that was pretty important. Robbie, you were just being facetious, right? I don't know. Everything Chris just said sounded like quite the stretch. Yes. Oh. <laughs> no, I think uh, no, like no. Late. I think this has outside of an Avengers movie. I think this has the most like this is the most impactful film for the course of the MCU. Like this dramatically oh, altered you. it. You just set him off on this whole speech for no reason. Well, I'm convinced now. <laughs> Wait, me set Chris off on a speech for no, no reason other than my own entertainment. That sounds not like him at all. Huh. Now I need someone to go for five minutes talking about how it sounds just like him. I blame this episode's runtime on you. <laughs> so we can agree the movie fits into the MCU very well, and it impacts it very much for the future. Now what are we going to rate it? I will give Captain America Civil War eight and a half walking thingies out of ten. <laughs> I'm going to give it eight orange slices out of ten. Yes, the movie that I spent a whole lot of time, apparently like three hours crapping on, I give it an 8 out of 10. I gave it 7.5 pinches of paprika out of 10. See, to me, that's even good for a movie that you were hating on. Well, I... <laughs> there are a lot of good things about it, but, like, it's... If you look in my ranking, which I know we're not there yet, but, like, it's it does fall beneath quite a lot of I just movies, feel like we so. spent a lot of time disagreeing on something we mostly agree on. Well, you know, I remember <laughs> when you guys were rating, like... Iron Man 3 and, you know, Age of Ultron and, you know, you still gave them decent scores out of 10. Okay, fine. what they were. Anyway, I gave it eight and a half bird <laughs> costumes out of 10. 
cold. So <laughs> you you mentioned ranking Angela. Where does this rank in your MCU list? Um. So I have it. Well, I need to get caught up. Um. After you guys did Guardians and Ant Man. Um. So. I still have Captain America, the first Avenger, and Avengers kind of neck and neck at the top, followed by Winter Soldier, followed by Guardians of the Galaxy, followed by Ant-Man, followed by Civil War. Um, I think Civil War and Ant-Man are kind of neck and neck, but I think Ant-Man was kind of a more well-rounded film. Um, And then the rest of my rankings are the same after that. Um, I put it fourth. The movie I hate is the fourth of this franchise I love. Um, It's kind of on its own tier. Uh, You know, Avengers, Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy at this point established themselves as the top tier. But then I feel like Civil War I like comfortably more than anything else. So it's fourth on kind of its own tier ahead of the other movies, but behind the three, like, gold standard that have come out at this point. Eduardo? I've got it. I still have uh, Guardians first. Then Winter Soldier, then Ant-Man, and then Civil War. I like this movie a lot, even though I talked about a lot about the things that I don't like on this movie. Mostly because I just discovered that I didn't like them on this rewatch. Because I was trying to be really... I've seen this movie significantly more than I've seen a lot of the other MCU movies. I watched this movie Interesting. Um, And so this is one of those movies where like, I didn't realize that I had such critical things to say about it. But I do. It's got some things that I don't like. I still really enjoy it, though. Chris, what about you? I've got it fifth. It's right after Winter Soldier, just ahead of Ant-Man. Why do you hate this movie so much? Uh, you know, it's just that's just how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody who has been listening so far and who has been very patient in waiting for this episode. We appreciate you um, listening in, and we promise we're going to continue on. You won't uh, see too many more interruptions here. Um, you can email the show, uh, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Find the show on Twitter at assemblycast at gmail.com. That's all run. All of our social networking is run by... Not uh, at gmail.com on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry, at assembly, assemblycast. Excuse me. It's like um, all of our <laughs> social media is run by Angela, actually. So uh, I'm waiting to uh, see what you say my Twitter handle is. Uh, I've got it written down. Um, <laughs> Uh, Robbie can be found at at PhilKid3, Chris Skatersax2010, Angela at the sound, the lady sound. I almost said it again. <laughs> I have it written down and I almost said it again. <laughs> it's because I said it right after the sound lord, so I want to say the sound lady right afterwards. I'm at the lady sound. Me, you can find me at ABCD Eduardo1. That's going to do it for myself, for Robbie, um, for Chris, for Angela. Angela, you're going to have to do each his part. We love you, 3000. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Excelsior. Well, I drop. Are you going to do AM- ASMR? You need to say boobly boobly oh. for peaches. Boobly boobly. Little, little,
in here, boy. Trouble can't be far away. And you know what trouble means. Headlines! National coverage! So don't screw this up! Oh, I mean, uh, good luck. <laughs> 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 